1: Talk shoe recorded, recorded live. live. It is seven thirty two according to my computer. February nineteenth, two thousand fifteen. Um, I am up in the corner of the United States, up in Bangor, Maine. Um, starting to question my sanity actually being up here, but anyway, uh we've had a lot of a lot of bad weather, a lot of cold, a lot of just tragedies and frozen stuff and you know, <laughs> fires and uh, mayhem, but I was practicing earlier tonight on how to do it dramatically, like the weather people, you know, or like the news, talking about how dangerous it is, it's dangerously cold, um, because I might need a, like a comedy routine or something so I can go on the road and earn some money. Getting pretty pretty desperate up here, starting to get the nasty letters in the mail now, I don't like that, so... I don't know what I'm going to do next, but we'll see. I um, got a little bit of money this week, so we paid for the phone bill and the Internet so I can keep doing this and uh, hopefully be able to sell stuff on eBay without losing the ability to get some money. So we'll see what happens. One of my tenants only paid $100 this month so far, and it is the 19th. I think it's time, don't you? Anyway, doesn't do any good to complain about it, so I'm not going to anymore. Um, there's some nice stuff going on in Maine, some big stuff that's happening. I know Jen Art was there last night and heard some of the conversation about it on... God, I hate that word conversation now. It's one of their words. Anyway, but it was. It was a um, presentation, I should say, uh, amongst people who are studying on the constitutional issues in Maine. And um, I found it pretty interesting. I'm not... Like I say, it's not one of my big focuses. I try to look at things with a really big picture, but I think when you start getting into constitutional issues and government, of course that is a big issue. That is a broader view of things than just your own little problem with taxes or whatever. So um, the more I listen to them, uh, the more the ideas gel in my mind. I know that certain dates are important, um, and I wrote a few notes and then this morning I listened to that program again towards the end of it, the last half hour especially, um, I believe it was, um, and it was on the program I'm talking about is Maine Exposed, and that is on Talk shoe as well. Last night they were talking about um, the court case that's going to come up for the governor of the state of Maine, who is asking for an opinion from the Supreme Judicial Court regarding whether or not this the um, attorney general can uh, refuse to uh, represent a state agency. I believe that's what is at the crux, the heart of it, the real issue. And this afternoon I took out the reply briefs of each party and read them because I, there's a lot to print out and read. And I decided I was going to start by reading the most recent things and then go back and try to figure out how how this got to be a problem now. But um, it is pretty fascinating, and I guess what's going to happen is there um, the people that have been working on this, which is uh, Phil Merletti, um, Dottie LaFortune, Louise Dupont, and Jack McCarthy, um, will be trying to get some people to go down and sit in on this uh, court case when it when it happens, which is going to be, um, I wrote it down here somewhere, I believe it's the 26th, I thought I wrote it down, and now I have everything but that written down, threw away the piece of paper it was on, just a minute, to dig in the trash. Oh. This is what happens when you take a lot of notes and you put them on the wrong notebook because then you got to go back and uh, dig in the trash sometimes. Okay, uh, February 26th at 10 a.m. at the Supreme Judicial Court. And uh, I believe that's located in Portland. Did I write everything else down on my other notebook? Let's see if I got everything else. Um. I'm not sure I wrote it all down, so I guess I've got to keep the trash out for a little bit. And now I'm throwing stuff at myself. Oh, my gosh. Remember when we were young and foolish? Now I have this great big tall chair that I have to climb up into. It's like a big bar chair. Comfortable, but big. Tall, I mean. So there. Okay, I'm back in my chair. <clears throat> See what I wrote down for notes. Um Apparently what happened was we had like an amendment in 1855, and I believe that was the one that they were talking about the night they were talking about how um, the government started to be changed around in Maine. And basically a lot of the things back then were just done and nobody, nobody objected so it continued. So it's built on kind of shaky ground. Um, Dottie mentioned that if you went back and listened to episode number 49 of Maine Exposed, they talked about it a lot that night, and I think that's the one that, um, I remember listening to and thinking, oh my goodness, because I think it's the one where they mentioned John Martin, who has just gone back into the legislature, and, uh, Olympia Snow, who is one of our senators that just retired, she's the one who left, and Angus King went in one of our former governors and became a senator an independent supposedly but he isn't he's a democrat through and through all you got to do is listen to him you'd know um and how in the 1975 the executive council which was put there to advise the governor um was abolished and then the other legislative group came in the ones that write all the laws and they're not really elected or anything they just they supposedly are advisory, but they're not. They they write everything. They're the ones that tell you what you're going to have for laws. And basically our legislature then just rubber stamps it. So not exactly what the founders had in mind. Um, and then uh, Jack came in and was talking about some of these issues and also said that on Saturday they're going to have a meeting somewhere, I guess, in Maine, or people would have to travel too far. Um, how shortlist is coming and i think he said someone else was coming too. that you might know the name but if you're interested in any of those other things like um he was saying it would relate to convention of states the um committees of safety and constitutional militias those kinds of things um they're going to meet somewhere and talk about stuff i don't know if this is one of those small group coffee shop things or actually like a, a you know a form, more formal meeting i'm not sure Okay, so to get back to what they were talking about last night, I think this is very important. I think it's going to have ramifications for other places because um, we have people here in Maine who are, I think, just trying things out. I've said this before, trying things out to see if, uh, if um, it's going to float, You know, if people will accept it. And they know that Mainers are some of us, not everybody, would look, into, um, would look into things more than maybe somebody living in another state who doesn't even know that they can. <laughs> so if it passes by Mainers, it'll pass by anybody. Um, and Jenard, I see you asked where I got them, unless you're joking around. Um, it was on Dottie's link that she had. and Let me see if I can find that link. I posted it today with a comment on my Other Life Facebook page. Um,
2: where the heck is it?
1: Oh, darn it. I don't know if I put it on here. Anyway, on the on her website, on Master for Maine, that website, it was there. Oh, let me see. Here it is a link to it here. Unmasker for Maine: The brief dispute they call it. <laughs> she called it the brief dispute between Maine Governor Paul LePage and Attorney General Mill Janet Mills. Um, and it was the, it was to um, also mention about the talk show talk show radio show last week because it says February fourth. Um, they did one last night, was the one I was talking about. They've continued on. In other words, this is something that they're bringing up and talking about more than once. So um, the documents were all on this page, links to them. I downloaded all of them. The letter from the governor, exhibit one, exhibit two, procedural order, and then the briefs listed in the order they received, they were received. Brief of Lise McLean and Dorothy LaFortune. That's Lise DuPont. She's also Lisa McLean. I don't know why she has two names, but. Brief of Audrey Spence. Brief of, brief of Peter Brand, Esquire. Brief of Governor Paul LePage. Brief of Attorney General Janet T. Mills. Reply brief of Audrey Spence. Reply brief of Governor Paul R. LePage. And brief of attorney, which I believe is the reply brief of her, too. Attorney General Janet T. Mills' reply brief of Lisa McLean, Lisa McLean. Um, I didn't go and read the original brief yet. What I did was I started with the most recent thing where the reply brief that I just told you. So I downloaded them, printed them, went and read them, highlighted them this afternoon. Um, The brief when they go to the court, I mean, they're meant, obviously, to inform the justices of the key points. They don't go into exhaustive detail about anything, but there are some things that refer to law in here. Um, and I think they're valuable um, to read, and I know some people won't bother to do it, so I'm going to probably read some of this stuff to you guys. So. I'll give you a couple minutes to get your tea, your coffee, your beer, whatever it is, and uh, I'll probably read some of those because I think they're very important. All right, I'm going to go look into the um, links and see if there's anything else that relates to this stuff or may relate to this stuff. don't know. One of the things that I saw this afternoon, I went and looked at Matthew Dunlap's um, Facebook page because... He is the Secretary of State, and he openly says stuff on his Facebook page. I've talked about it before. I've read things off of it. And what he put on there yesterday was, this is what he wrote, not a bad day to claim you've never heard of Matt Dunlap. It's been a long day, and I'm glad to see the end of it. That's all he said. And you can go over there and look at his Facebook page if you want to. It's right on there. He doesn't block his Facebook page probably so everybody can see who he is and stuff. But I find him to act very much out of character with the constitutional office of the state. He has some serious drama queen issues, in my opinion. These are my opinions based on what I've seen. He may be good at some things in his life, but to post something like that on your Facebook page sounds like a whiny drama queen doesn't say what his bad day was, doesn't say why it was a long day, and that he's happy it's over. But my radar went up because I thought, oh, I hope it's because he read some of this stuff. I hope it's because of this stuff. Really sincerely hope it's because of some of this stuff. Because, like I say, these people that are acting outside of their authority or acting in an unethical way, not doing the business of the people of Maine and not making sure that they're protecting the people need to be called out and they need to be brought to the light, basically the light shining on what they're doing. It needs to be full, their life needs to be full of exposure morning till night until the situation is corrected. And I think that there aren't that many of them and we have, you know, a list of people that really need to be exposed in Maine especially and in other places where you might might live, you may have people the same way, need to be exposed so that they find something else to do. They can go work somewhere else. They can go and uh, take more time with their family, as I say, or maybe leave the state and go live somewhere else. Because we know they're not going to jail. Because who's going to put them there? Their best friends. It's really sick how corrupt it is. So anyway, after he posted that, he had you know a list of people who liked it. I didn't even bother to copy at this time. Sometimes I do because I want to know who the cheerleaders are for these people. It's another way to just branch out one or two layers. you know, who are the cheerleaders? Who are those people? Is it their brother-in-law? Is it their friend? Somebody they used to work with? Who is it? So I go down through that and I see some you know some of the people whose names I recognize. Um, Renee Ordway writes for the Bangor Daily News or did, and then she went to work for one of the local TV stations. Um, she's been around the area for a long time, and she put, looking forward to Friday, I've been waiting for that darn document to get back to its hometown, I love that story, so put today behind you and look forward to Friday. Don't know what it means, they do, because they're insiders, okay? And then some people were like, you know, um, some are joking around, so you don't really know, you know, whether they're kidding or whether something they actually did, but they go down through this whole thing. It's a bunch of cheerleaders. It's like, oh, you poor thing, you know. it's Why are you saying this? I'm glad we're friends. Oh, I think that, you know, you're the most wonderful. Oh, here's a good one. Matt Dunlap, stellar guy, a prince among men. It's, it's you know, the case of, well, what do you call that? I, I love the word sycophant because that's what it is. You're kissing up to somebody who has some power and you want to be his best buddy just in case you might need it in the future. Um, like I say, I know some of these people. I'm not going to say too much about it because I don't want to you know, say something wrong. But it's like drama queen. That's all I can say begging somebody to give you a compliment. Oh, I look so terrible today. I look so oh, oh, oh. No, I think you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, thank you. Yeah, not like you fished for it or anything. Oh, well. Okay, some of the other stuff that um, they talked about last night, that the branches of government that we always hear are actually departments of government. It says in our Maine State Constitution, that we have we have departments. We don't have branches. So I um, buried my stuff here that I had. So I printed out some of that stuff last night, which I have now put somewhere safe and can't find, um, of the Constitution of the State of Maine. As it is presented... Um, when they talk about it, which is the older one, the original one, I believe. Because as some people don't realize, it's not that they're going for
2: um,
1: um, trying to say that we're still going by that. That's not it. It's trying to find why we're going from the original Constitution in 1820 to something that is entirely different And changing things without the authority to do that. And that's where I find it very interesting. Some people are just saying, you know, well, of course it's changed. Now time changes. They can change the stuff. Well, they can't just, you know, redesign the entire thing without authority. And just because no one objects, that makes it okay. So this is why people are going after the actual structure at the time. So last night, um, I opened up a link to exactly what um, they say in, their, in the public space on the maine.gov website about what our government, how our government is structured. And it says branches of government. It says the Maine state constitution created Maine's government system with three co-equal branches, the executive, legislative, and judicial branches the State of Maine also has three constitutional officers, the Secretary of State, the State Treasurer, and the State Attorney General, and one statutory officer, the State Auditor. So the way that they've worded that would make you believe that we have three constitutional officers that are outside of the three branches of government, and that there's one statutory officer, the State Auditor, when in fact... Many of these people are acting as statutory people. They're in offices that are not constitutional offices. They're more or less telling you that there's two systems going. <laughs> but um, some of the ambiguity that's created by doing this is what the problem is. That's the way I see it, anyway. Okay, so here's the here's the one that I just told you about the one that's about uh, how they tell you on the gov website how they tell you that you're, that the state government is organized.
2: All right, did I give you the other one? Um,
1: I think I did, did I? No, I didn't even give you the other one, or at least I don't see that I did. I had it open and forgot to do it. Okay, so just wait a second. I'll give you that one, too. This is the one that um, I took the uh, documents off from and printed. And I see Dottie's here now, too. Hi, Dottie. So if anybody's asking questions, I'm sure Dottie will be able to clarify some of this stuff. Depending on which end of the, you know, which part of the issue you're looking at or if you're looking from a different viewpoint because you don't really get all of the ins and outs of the legalities, still there's something, I think, that you can get out of this.
2: All right. Um.
1: And I see Desert Pete's here, and also someone named Not Found. Hi, Not Found. So we're gonna. Um, what we're going to do is, I think I'm going to do this first because it's the most important. I know you hate it when I read to you first, but I have to because I want you to know the background of this stuff. I think it's going to be very important. I don't know which order. I don't know what the dates were, when these things were received. It looks to me like... Some of the replies came back. Well, let's see. These were the replies to the brief, as I said. I'm going to leave out Audrey's senses because I didn't understand how she was relating it. I think that hers was um, basically somebody who had been affected by what's going on in the state of Maine, and so she wanted to add her two cents worth to it, but I couldn't really understand how it related, so I left it aside because my concern may basically right now is that um, Phil and Leith and Dottie and Jack are heard um, for the questions that they have and for why they think that we need to clarify, which is that things aren't operating correctly right now. So, let's see. I'm going to start with... um, I guess I'll start with Janet Mills because if you get bored and fall asleep this is one I want to make sure you know. This is from the Attorney General's uh reply brief. And this is um let's see. The the uh, code at the top is OJ151, which is I guess the docket number for the court. Reply brief of Attorney General submitted in conjunction with questions propounded to the justices of the Supreme Judicial Court by the Governor on January 23, 2015. And then it says, Janet T. Mills, Attorney General, Linda M. Pistner, Chief Deputy Attorney General, Phyllis Gardner, Assistant Attorney General, Office of the Attorney General, 6th State House Station, Augusta, Maine, 04333-0006. And then it has a telephone number. I don't think you're calling them tonight, so I won't give you that. Okay, and then it has the table of contents. I'm going to skip that. Table of authorities. I'm going to skip that. I put a little note beside um, the constitutional provisions because last night they were talking about Article 6, I believe, or somewhere in this I saw Article 6, but when I looked at constitutional provisions on hers, I didn't see that mentioned. So I thought it was kind of odd that she left it out. Um, all right, so I'm start. In accordance with the court's procedural order of January 26, 2015, the Attorney General submits the following in response to the brief filed on behalf of the governor on February 6, 2015. Number one, this is bolded. The arguments presented in support of the governor's request reflect a misunderstanding of the respective rules roles and authority of the offices of governor and Attorney General. And then it goes, To explain that, so the governor's brief suggests that the historic reading of 5 MRS 191, approved by the law court in Superintendent of Insurance versus Attorney General 558A 2D 1197, Maine 1989, violates the Maine Constitution by infringing upon his executive authority because the Attorney General theoretically could deny an agency legal representation at some point in the future." And then it says, Governor brief at 1011. I believe that's what that means, Br. This argument reflects a fundamental misunderstanding of the respective roles and authority of the Governor and the Attorney General under Maine's constitutional and statutory framework. I underline that because constitutional and statutory framework me means that she recognizes that there are two different things going on. Otherwise why would she do that? In superintendent, the law court determined that it is the attorney general who controls state litigation. Thus the attorney general may decline to represent an agency in court and may authorize outside counsel even when the attorney general intervenes to represent the public interest in a manner that is directly adverse to the agency. What the law court approved in superintendent is precisely what the Attorney General has done in Mayhew versus Burwell, number 14-1300, First Circuit. And then um, there's a footnote. This is one of a number of hypothetical scenarios suggested in governor's brief, which are not appropriate for advisory opinion. see part three below. That footnote was after um, the same because the Attorney General theoretically could deny an agency legal representation at some point in the future. Okay. In Maine, the authority and responsibilities of the Attorney General are independent of the chief executive. I underline that. Maine, Constitutional, Maine Constitution Article 9, um, Section 11. In this respect, Maine is in line with the vast majority of states, 45, employing a divided executive form of government which disperses power and provides important checks and balances within the executive branch. See William P. Marshall, Break Up the Presidency, Governors, State Attorneys General, and Lessons from the Divided Executive. Um, That looks like it is a uh, book because it's put in italic. Um, And then it gives some other information regarding that publication. The Divided Executive Model disperses power and protects against overreaching by dedicating an executive officer to uphold the rule of law. See generally, Justin G. Davids, note, State Attorneys General and the Client-Attorney Relationship, establishing the power to sue state officers. It's another um, italicized title, so that's a publication of some kind. Uh, The first one was 2006, the second one I just said was 2005, so they're fairly recent. And it says discussing cases in parentheses. The Maine Constitution vests the governor with the supreme executive power of this state. Maine Constitution Article 5, Part 1, Section 1. At the same time, the Constitution charges the chief executive to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Maine Constitution Article 5, Part 1, Section 12. The powers and duties of the Attorney General are consistent with and enhance this executive responsibility. While the governor may exercise executive authority to implement policies, the attorney general is the chief legal officer of the state with the constitutional common law and statutory authority to initiate, defend and direct all litigation involving the state. In litigation, therefore, the governor does not have supreme executive authority. It is the attorney general who determines what legal positions may be asserted in the public interest. The attorney general is vested with considerable discretion and autonomy. And I went, huh? <laughs> I was like, what? So does this mean exactly, according to her, she is the top dog in the state, not him? That would put him sort of as a uh, um, figurehead or whatever, the way I see it, because she's saying basically that um, she's the chief legal officer of the state, and w- as far as executing the um, the authority to force people to obey the law um i i have always thought the governor was in charge of that so that is kind of like gray areas in my mind something i need to know more about because i'm behind the curve let's put it that way but she does mention constitutional common law and statutory authority and uh that's what she believes she has so okay um And then it says, um, see Superintendent 558A2D at 1199 to 1200, citations omitted. Okay. As the state's chief legal officer, the attorney General general is responsible for providing legal advice to all state officers and agencies. Use of outside counsel is an exception to this rule and requires approval by the attorney general. The suggestion that an agency's rejection of legal advice should vitiate the authority of the Attorney General over any resulting litigation lacks any support in law. In making decisions about legal representation pursuant to Section 191, the Attorney General is not impermissibly infringing upon the governor's constitutional authority. Carrying out this responsibility preserves the delicate balance of power embedded in Maine's constitutional framework. And there's footnotes on here, and then I'm not seeing them soon enough to relate them directly to what is said, but you can always go and find them afterwards. But I'm going to read you the footnotes, too, because they have additional information in them. Um, One of them on this page was, In the months prior to the filing of Maine Municipal Association, et al., versus MEDHHS, which probably stands for Maine Department of Health and Human Services, um, Cumberland County Superior Court, 2014, Members of the Office of the Attorney General provided such legal advice to MEDHHS on issues generated by its proposed rule, advice that was rejected by the agency. The lengthy memorandum of May 16, 2014, providing this advice is a public document. See Attachment 3 to Attorney General's Brief. At no time did the Office of the Attorney General provide legal advice to the parties that later sued the state as asserted in the governor's brief. And then the other footnote says, the attorney general's exercise of authority pursuant to section 191, consistent with the court's holding in superintendent, also does not constitute encroachment by the legislative branch on the governor's executive powers, and thus does not present any separation of powers issue under Article Three, section 1. See the governor's brief at 1011, it says. Um, after reading all of them, I realized that what this is, is that the, um, sounds to me like anyway, I'm not sure if I'm right, but I think this is what happened. The main Department of Health and Human Services um, received legal advice from the Office of Attorney General, but didn't take it. And something happened after that. So I'm still not clear on that, but I think that's what happened originally. So they they had information they would not have had if they had not gone and given that advice, apparently. It, it was muddied a bit in there. Okay, number two, bolded. This is the next section. The Attorney General's review of outside counsel requests to assure qualified representation at a reasonable cost does not interfere with Maine Department of Health and Human Services' ability to fully litigate the issues and does not constitute a conflict of interest. The governor's brief makes broad sweeping statements about alleged ethical conflicts that extrapolate far beyond precedent and well beyond the scope of the asserted exigent circumstances that prompted his request for an advisory opinion. Governor's brief at 1314 and 2122. Those are probably pages, I don't know for sure. The governor's brief suggests that under the reasoning of superintendent, the attorney general would be ethically barred from assigning assistant attorneys general to represent an agency in any litigation in which the Attorney General was also intervening in the public interest, Governor's brief at 1314. The court and superintendent did not address this issue, however, because the Attorney General had already approved outside counsel in that instance after the superintendent and the Attorney General were unable to agree on a protocol to establish an ethical wall between attorneys in the office and that's 558A2D at 1199, number one. The Office of the Attorney General is likewise not attempting dual representation in the matters referred to in the governor's request. And the footnote on this page is, even in the Michigan case relied upon in the governor's brief at 20, 2021, the court noted that representation by the Attorney General of both the agency decision maker and the public interest in court would be permissible if the agency consented. The Attorney General versus Michigan Public Service Committee and um, Commission. I mean, and then it gives the um, information for how to find that one, and that was in 2000. The governor's brief also asserts that the Attorney General cannot ethically manage the litigation in a case in which the Attorney General has intervened to oppose an agency's position. Governor's brief at 21 to 22. By reviewing the qualifications of the private attorneys. Maine Department of Health and Human Service proposes to retain the Attorney General's office as carrying out its responsibility to assure effective representation of the agency as contemplated by Section 191 and as supported by the court's holding and superintendent. Requiring submission of cost estimates for legal work ensures that effective representation is provided at reasonable cost to the public. Neither step constitutes managing the litigation or controlling or fettering for example, restricting, confining, or restraining an agency and outside counsel in their ability to pursue legal strategies that they wish to pursue in court. Such, such actions constitute a prudent exercise of the Attorney General's authority, consistent with the law. They present no ethical issues. Um, and the footnotes on this page, the governor's brief assumes that some sort of conflict exists in the main Municipal Association matter apparently because the Attorney General elected not to defend a legal position at odds with advice previously given by the office. These circumstances do not constitute an ethical conflict. The Governor's reliance on Fitzgerald v. Baxter State Park Authority is also misplaced. That was 1978, it says. Um, the circumstances of that case were unique. The Baxter State Park Authority is the only state agency on which the Attorney General serves as a member and decision maker and are inappropriate, no, are in a- apposite. I don't know that word. I said inappropriate because I didn't recognize this word. In I don't know if that's even a word, to the litigation discussed in the governor's request. Something I would have to look up because I don't know what that word means. Okay, um, and then the last part of this paragraph goes on to the next page. In superintendent, the court recognized the unique status of the attorney general holding that conflict of interest rules do not apply in the same way to the office of the attorney general as they apply to a private lawyer. I'm skipping over some of these odd numbers after the words. You can go get them and read them if you need them. In reaching that conclusion, the court relied on relied in part on the ABA model Code of Professional Responsibility, which provides that members of an attorney general's office, and then it has a little inset paragraph, so it's quoting directly, may be authorized to represent several government agencies in intra-governmental legal controversies in circumstances where a private lawyer could not represent multiple private clients. They also may have authority to represent the public interest in circumstances where a private lawyer would not be authorized to do so. These rules do not abrogate any such authority. So ABA, I'm assuming, refers to American Bar Association. They don't actually say it, but I believe that's what it is. ABA Model Code of Professional Responsibility, Preamble, Scope and Terminology at page 12, 1983, it says. Subsequent to the law court opinion and superintendent, the main Supreme Judicial Court adopted the main rules of professional responsibility, replacing former main bar rule three, the preamble from the main task force on ethics, section 18, incorporates the very same language from the ABA model rule cited above, relied upon by the law court in superintendent. The adoption of the main rules of professional conduct in 2009 reaffirms the conflict of interest analysis undertaken by the law court in superintendent. These authorities refute the the argument in the governor's brief that there is an ethical conflict in the present circumstances. And the footnote on this page says, The Maine Supreme Judicial Court did not specifically adopt the preamble scope, comments, and reporter's notes, but has indicated that they are published for background information and illustration. Maine rules of professional conduct preamble, um, and it gives where it is, Recognizes the distinction between a government lawyer and a private lawyer and creates an exception to the conflict of interest rules when otherwise provided by law. Main rules of professional conduct. Say the next section, number three. The claimed exigent circumstances and vague hypotheticals in the governor's brief fall short of the legal standards for issuing an opinion of the justices. See, the thing is that Janet Mills basically told the court. That she didn't think they should even address this, that and it, that you know was like what raised a lot of flags for people. Is like the attorney general is telling the Supreme Judicial Court justices not to even address this. You know, uh, that was pretty amazing, and that was in the newspapers. All right, um, the only exigencies claimed by the governor to justify a solemn occasion are those alleged allegedly presented by the request for outside counsel in Mayhew versus Burwell and Maine Municipal Association. The governor claims that he faces the necessity of making certain immediate choices within a few weeks in each case, yet that alleged exigency is undefined. In his brief, the governor asked the justices to opine that, notwithstanding the plain language mandate of five MRS, Section 191, he is not required to obtain authorization from the Attorney General to hire outside counsel in any matter in which the Attorney General either refuses to represent an agency within his administration in court or appears as a party opponent in litigation involving a state agency. The brief asks the justices to alter state law and issue an advisory opinion that far exceeds the scope of the governor's request for guidance in the Burwell and Maine Municipal Association litigation. In superintendent, the court had no need to address the question whether approval could be withheld for the employment of private counsel because of a disagreement over the public interest. Likewise, there's no need to address that question here. And then um, the footnote on this page says, the petition for certiorari, certiorari, I don't know what that is, certiorari, I tried if I'm wrong, somebody can pronounce it for me, was filed on February 12, 2015 in the United States Supreme Court by outside counsel on behalf of Maine Department of Health and Human Services, Mayhew versus Burwell. Well, that's pretty interesting, U.S. Supreme Court case. Um, petition for cert filed, and then it has the numbers, you know, like they always put numbers for stuff. Docket number is not yet available. Where did I leave off? Because I'm going to the next page. No need to address that question here. See something or other. Oh, it's suggesting that the answer to that question must be no. See amicus brief of Peter Brand, Esquire, at 17. I didn't read his, so I haven't read those yet. The Attorney General has not denied access to outside counsel in either of the two cases mentioned, and the possibility that this could occur in the future is purely speculative. In the hypothetical event that the Attorney General refuses to approve a request for outside counsel, in a case in which the Attorney General has intervened in opposition to an agency's legal position, the agency can pursue a remedy in superior court as the Superintendent of Insurance did in 1989, see Superintendent, and then it gives the case number again. Section 191 unambiguously requires Maine Department of Health and Human Services to obtain approval from the Attorney General and it is undisputed that the attorney general has granted that approval in both cases. The justices should decline to address any hypothetical scenarios. The governor's brief mischaracterizes certain past actions and positions of the attorney general's office and asserts other disputed facts which should not be accepted as true. (laughs) I just, when I read that, I went, well, I guess she told them. She's even telling them what to think about it. should not be accepted as true. All right. The Office of the Attorney General vigorously disputes many of the assertions in the Statement of Facts, including, for instance, the suggestions that the office abandoned a client agency in the midst of litigation, or that it gave legal advice to to an opposing party. In any event, Our request for an advisory opinion is not the proper vehicle to adjudicate disputed facts or to address alleged past actions. The governor's brief, this is the conclusion, the governor's brief asked the justices to overturn established precedent to dramatically upset the delicate balance of powers of main government and to undermine the critical independence of the constitutional office of the attorney general. The justices should not countenance this request dated February 13, 2015, so it's only less than a week old, respectfully submitted, and then it has those people's names on it that I read at the beginning. And the footnote on this page is, the Attorney General's Office also disputes the suggestion that it requested privileged narrative billing records revealing litigation strategy as a condition of granting approval in Mayhew versus Burwell for outside counsel to file a cert petition or indicated that it would develop a fee cap for that work. And then the certifications for the um, notification by mail on the last page. So um, that's the Attorney general's reply brief. I have to say I'm not that impressed. I've read a lot of stuff before that is similar in nature, and I'm not all that impressed with it 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 almost struck me as um, yeah, we gotta get something out there, so let's just write something and send it. so you know it's uh, okay, w you certiorari is an appeal to the u s Supreme Court. It's a new word to me, I never heard it before, never even heard it said, so hopefully I said it right, okay, I told you I was skipping over um miss. Um, whatever her name is, Audrey Spence. I'm skipping over her for now. But you can go read that if you want to. Janet's was the most important to me, Janet Mills, because um, I wanted to know exactly where she's coming from and maybe have an idea of what's, what's going to happen in this particular case and you know, try to at least know what I'm talking about when people start what we call here, ragging on our governor because they think he's, you know, they don't like him. So they call him every name in the book and they rag on him. And uh, he's, um, he is a blustery individual. He's somebody who speaks his mind and blocks out things sometimes when he shouldn't. But I believe that he has the best interests of the people of the state of Maine in mind. And there aren't too many of them in, in Augusta right now who do. So I'm going to read you his now. His is not as long. Hers was the worst. That's why I said I was going to do it first before you all fall asleep. Okay, um, this one has the same markings on the front. It is the docket number OJ15-1. Um, and they put, received on February 13th at the clerk's office at the Maine Supreme Judicial Court. Um, reply brief of Governor Paul R. LePage and then it has um, four lawyers listed Cynthia Montgomery, Holly Lusk, Hancock Fenton, and Chase Martin, and they all have Esquire after their name. Counsel for Governor Paul R. LePage, Office of the Governor, one State House station, Augusta, Maine, 04330. And then there's a the table of contents, skipping over that, the table of authorities. Um, and if you've never looked at these before, the table of authorities. Uh, gives a list of the case law and things like that that they're referring to. It's a way of putting it in a simple way, so you could look up those things if you wanted to. Okay, um, argument. Number one, the Attorney General's arguments against a finding of a solemn occasion misunderstand the question at issue. The Attorney General makes five arguments against a finding of a solemn occasion. The arguments generally misunderstand the questions presented by the governor and the nature of his concerns. This brief will address each of those arguments in turn. A, the live gravity and unusual exigency relate to the impending need for additional legal services in the Mayhew and Maine municipal cases. The Attorney General contends there is no unusual exigency or live gravity presented by the governor, but the Attorney General misunderstands the nature of the exigency. As the governor stated in his letter of January 23, 2015, the attorney general has approved private counsel for only pieces of pending litigation. The attorney general granted permission, which is in current effect, for private counsel to draft the petition for certiorari in the Mayhew case. See January 23 letter, 2015 letter of Governor Paul R. LaPage. Hereinafter, governor's letter at two. That permission was limited in scope. As the Attorney General's brief indicates, she previously has denied in Mayhew work proposed by private counsel and with potential filers of amicus briefs. See the brief of Attorney General at ADD 03, ADD 06. The petition for certiorari was filed on February 12, 2015, and the docketing of the petition triggers the 30-day deadline for the filing of supportive briefs See, um, it looks like Superior Court R fifteen three. I don't even know what these numbers mean, so you'll have to go look them up if you want to get those. A process in which the council plans to, in which council plans to engage. The governor's letter also explained that the attorney general is requiring the Maine Department of Health and Human, Human Services to request at intervals permission to continue working with private counsel on the Maine municipal matter. Governor's letter at three. Documentation provided with the Attorney General's brief sheds light on the nature of this limited approval. Because the Attorney General, despite denying her office's representation to Maine DHHS, assessed the litigation as unlikely to be lengthy, she approved private counsel for a limited scope and duration, up to a cap of $20,000. The brief of Attorney General ADD-010. That approval expired. And shortly, Maine DHHS will need approval to continue working with private counsel. The exigent circumstances and live gravity concern the need to continue working with private counsel to represent the state in litigation. What the governor seeks to know is whether he must continue to ask the attorney general for that permission in these two lawsuits. And that's really the the crux of it is whether or not the governor should have to ask the attorney general to be able to have private counsel when she refuses to do the work. (laughs) Um, B, the governor's questions are not hypothetical because they concern the current need for legal services. The attorney general argues that the governor's questions are hypothetical and thus do not present a solemn occasion. The attorney general appears to believe the sole question at issue is whether she may deny all representation whatsoever to a state entity. That is not the question at issue, although it is important to the logic of the governor's argument. The governor is asking whether he has to ask for permission to hire private counsel when the attorney general denies representation to state entities. These questions which concern the Mayhew and Maine municipal cases are not hypothetical. The attorney general's approval has been limited, whether in scope, duration, or in the amount that can be spent because the Attorney General has provided limited approval which necessitates frequent returns to obtain additional permission, the questions present a very current problem. The gravity is live. The state has been told by the Attorney General's Office that the state must obtain prior written approval for private counsel, and therefore the question of whether the state must return to the Attorney General to ask for that permission is not hypothetical at all. The governor does not seek a declaration of the law, but to the extent the justices find it necessary to interpret the law in order to assist them in answering the questions that is appropriate. The attorney general argues that the governor simply asks for a declaration of existing law. The governor is not asking for a simple declaration of existing law, he is asking for guidance as to whether he has the authority to retain private counsel in Mayhew and Maine Municipal without asking the attorney general. However, it is difficult to imagine that the justices could provide an advisory opinion when a governor has serious doubts as to his own constitutional or statutory power and authority. And then it says, Opinion of the Justices, 2012, Maine, 49, Section 6. Yet could not interpret statute to aid in their response. Indeed, the justices previously have interpreted statute to aid in their advisory opinions. See, for example, Opinion of the Justices, and then it gives another one. Um, And then it gives a a link to um, court opinion. The question presented requires the interpretation of the sales tax law, opinion of the justices. We believe this interpretation, so it's telling you where to go look for more about that, is in accord with other relevant statutory provisions. As the justices indicated in a 1977 advisory opinion, interpretation of the law was not in and of itself a problem. It was gratuitous and gratuitous interpretation that was disallowed, and then it's got an inserted paragraph again, which is a quote. Since these answers establish that the law precludes further consideration of the mat- matters purported to be raised by the challenges to the absentee ballot envelopes and applications here involved, the issues raised in questions number two and number five thereby, thereby become tentative, hypothetical, and abstract. To answer them would call upon us to interpret existing statutes and Statutes and circumstances in which such interpretation is not required by the facts placed before us by the House of Representatives, this we cannot do." And that's an opinion of the justices, so that's a publication. It is fair to say that the justices' answer to the substantive questions asked by the governor will be informed by how they interpret the main constitution and pertinent statutes, but the governor is not asking for a gratuitous legal interpretation. D. It is unclear which specific facts the Attorney General believes to be disputed. The Attorney General argues in her brief that it is inappropriate for an advisory opinion to issue on the basis of disputed facts. Beyond this assertion, it is unclear which facts she believes to be disputed. And on the bottom of the previous page, there's a footnote. Although public domain citations exist for other advisory opinions of the justices. That does not appear to be the case for this opinion of the justices, which is reported on the main Supreme Judicial Court website." So somebody's just saying it's missing. Makes me want to go look for it, actually. (laughs) When something's missing, you wonder why. Okay, E, the question of law asked by the governor is unresolved. The Attorney General argues that the governor's questions were resolved by Superintendent of Insurance versus Attorney General, 1989. Again, the Attorney General misunderstands questions posed by the Governor. The Governor is not asking whether the Attorney General has discretion to re- represent a state agency or official or whether she may pursue the public interest in litigation. The Governor is asking about whether he must request permission for private counsel in two pending cases. Whether permission had to be sought for outside counsel was not an issue in Superintendent. Also, the Superintendent Court left unanswered the question of whether the Attorney General could deny all representation whatsoever to a state agency. The answer is relevant. The answer is relevant to the questions asked by the Governor in that. If the Attorney General cannot deny all representation to a state agency, the requirement to request permission for private counsel is rendered meaningless. That was really important because if she can't deny it, then it's meaningless to ask for permission in the first place. Additionally, although the Attorney General and Mr. Brand argue that the plain language of 5 MRSA, section 191 indicates the governor must obtain prior written approval for private counsel from the Attorney General with no exceptions, The Superintendent Court also held that the plain language of that statute means something different than what it says, shall did not constitute a mandate of representation. Hence, it is not unreasonable for the governor to question his authority under the Constitution in Section 191. Number two, the Attorney General's control of litigation in Mayhew and Maine Municipal has extended beyond logistics. The Attorney General appears to be arguing that all she is endeavoring to do in Mayhew and Maine Municipal is ensure that private counsel is admitted in the appropriate court, carries malpractice insurance, and charges a reasonable hourly rate. See brief of Attorney General at 28. She already approved private counsel on those bases. At the outset of both litigation matters, however, those considerations fail to explain approvals that are limited in scope, refusing to allow work with amicus in Mayhew, duration and funding. I'm assuming amicus is amicus pluralized. And maybe I didn't say it right either, but I don't know. Somebody will tell me. The Attorney General's submission includes a May 27, 2014 letter imposing a cap of $40,000 fixed fee for briefing and oral argument and an additional $10,000 for any en banc, E-N-B-A-N-C, rehearing briefing and oral argument in the First Circuit Appeal in Mayhew, Brief of Attorney General ADD-06. In so doing, the Attorney General limited the amount Maine DHHS could spend to oppose the brief. She later filed as an intervener. The Attorney General's arguments that she has exercised no substantive control over these matters are a hard pill to swallow when the Attorney General's office represented Maine DHHS in Mayhew and subsequently abandoned that representation only to proactively fight against Maine DHHS at the appeal, all the while controlling what main DHHS could spend to enforce the legislative directive and I went back and I actually marked this off because I consider this to be really the one of the important things to remember so I'm going to read it again in case you're drifting off and not listening which might not be doing I don't blame you if you're sleeping but you can listen to it when you're in the mood. The Attorney General's arguments that she has exercised no substantive control over these matters are a hard pill to swallow when the Attorney General's office represented Maine DHHS in Mayhew and subsequently abandoned that representation, only to proactively fight against Maine DHHS at the appeal, all the while controlling what Maine DHHS could spend to enforce the legislative directive. Okay, number three, to ensure the law court's objectivity for any appeal in Maine municipal, the justices should disregard information or argument addressing the merits of that case. To the extent the Attorney General's brief discusses and provides information regarding the merits of the Maine municipal litigation, which likely will be appealed to the Maine Supreme Judicial Court, sitting as the law court, this court should disregard that material. The parties to that litigation obviously disagree regarding the merits of the case and it is improper for information or argument regarding the merits to be submitted to this court prior to any appeal. So, in other words, some things are going on that are being appealed and they relate to this, so they're thinking that it should be left out. Conclusion, the circumstances underlying the governor's request for an opinion of the justices present a solemn occasion, thereby enabling the justices to provide an advisory opinion, because the attorney general may not leave the state without recourse to the courts, the requirement to request her permission to hire private counsel is without meaning. And that's dated february thirteenth, twenty fifteen. So that is the governor's reply to brief. And then the very brief brief reply to brief that Phil Merletti and Lee Dottie and Jack filed, very brief one. Um, It doesn't say, let's
3: see,
1: I'm going to say where's the date? This is, uh, I believe, the 12th is when they sent this one. So around the same time. And it has the cover page with everybody on it. Okay. Comes now Phil Merle- Philip Merletti, Lise McLean, Dorothy LaFortune, and Jack William McCarthy. The people, as mentioned in Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution of the State of Maine, responding and objecting to the Attorney General's brief dated, dated February 6, 2015. We, the said people, as above mentioned, were under the impression that Governor Paul R. LaPage's question of law is solely advisory as opposed to adversarial according to Article 6, Section 3 of the Constitution of the State of Maine. Under Article 6, Section 3, the Attorney General possesses no delegation of authority to file a brief into the matter, nor to inform the justices of the Supreme Judicial Court that they cannot respond to Governor LePage's question of law. This constitutes a violation of constitutional law. She, in effect, is meddling, interfering, and tampering with constitutional process. The above-mentioned people object to Attorney General Janet Mills' brief based on violations of constitutional law, and we the people stand by our brief, which supports the Constitution. And then the certifications of the notice are on that one, too. Well, last night they talked about some other things that um, have come up after that and are filling out some of the, you know, missing pieces and all that, and... um, I know that I heard the word impeachment and I found that interesting too, but I'm going to kind of stand by and just you know, listen to people talk about that kind of stuff because I don't really know exactly what leg somebody would stand on with that, but it sounded to me like there is some constitutional process where that could happen to our Attorney General. Okay, I know I read for a long time, but like I say, if I don't read it, Sometimes I won't read it at all or other people won't go do it because we're all busy. So that's the reason. And if you want to just, you know, drift off and take a nap, it's always okay because you can always come back later and listen to it if you want to know what it said while you're doing something else. Okay. Um, Does anybody have any comments about that Um, or anything you want to say about that? And, Dottie, I already told them about the other one that you said, that other talk show program you did, episode 49. I listened to all of that again today. So
2: go back up and see if anybody
1: is talking about anything relevant to this. And that doesn't mean I'm checking on you to see if you're passing notes in the back of the class because I honestly don't care if you do. Okay. Yeah, James can say, and I think the AG should be unbiased and seems to be very biased. This is what the problem is, mostly, is that she is a Democrat and she's an active Democrat. Um, they don't make any bones about it in this state. It's um, It's definitely a stacked system here. And when I was reading some of the stuff recently that was disparaging of our governor, the people on the Democratic side were saying... The words about him that I used to say about John Baldacci, who was the Democratic predecessor, um, when they're in power, they feel that they can do anything they want. It's like, oh, well, you elected us, but now you just need to step back and let us take care of everything. And uh, that's not how it's going to be from now on. So we're going to see how things go. It's not going to be like that, that's for sure. Um Yes, and Dottie's saying, who is her boss? It appears she's controlled by the legislature. Well, obviously, if they're the ones that vote her in, then she is, because her position is, you know, she's the one, she is getting into office by them. Um, I found it interesting that her, um, you know, the way she put where she sees her job as being, you know, structurally, where she sees it being, I don't know whether she really believes that or if she just thinks that will move things over. I don't know. I think you've got to... Yes, I did see the organizational chart last night. Um, if people want to see the, the links that we're talking about from the show last night, um, you can go on chatgrabber.com and put in the show's ID number and then choose which episode you want to read, which chat you want to read, and you can get all those links that people were sharing last night. Um I think that um, it's really interesting to me that they have this authority that they sort of assumed, and I think they know that that's how it happened, because they're lawyers. (laughs) And so it's very interesting to see the uh, dynamics between the people right now, the actual human form people, not the ones that are just on paperwork, the real people, the ones that go home at night and make dinner or whatever. So. Yeah, I have um, some of those. Like I said, the ones I just read, I've printed off. I haven't printed everything yet. But, and I haven't read everything yet, but I have an idea of it. And I know that you can't go by what's in the newspaper because the newspaper is going to, um, you know, lean it towards their friends, which is the same group, over and over again. Um, and
2: let's see. Talking about... Jean's talking about
1: uh, Syrians in New York City. One of my best friends growing up was a Syrian. I don't know why they were in northern Maine, but I knew Syrians and ate Syrian food and everything. I don't know why they were there. We had people from different cultures sometimes just because of the base. They came because they were in the Air Force and then liked it and stayed when they got out. So I don't know how they got there. But... um, All right. So I think that people are just chatting in there. If anybody wants to say anything or wants to call in, they're more than welcome to. I'm going back to my links to see if there's anything else on here. I didn't save a whole lot of stuff this week. I've mostly been listening and uh, trying to save my empire, as I always say. I, it's really getting difficult. Because, you know, somebody. if you get $100 somewhere, where do you spend it, you know? Still sitting here waiting on some payments from people, and I, you know, it's, nerve-wracking so i've been distracting myself by listening to talk shoes and different interviews and reading and <laughs> cleaning my house and meanwhile we've got you know uh, another storm and another storm and another storm and having it be very cold and trying to keep the house warm enough and just stress the stress we all live in in maine this is how we live every winter um, yesterday there was a fire at one of our local high schools, It's a, um, I believe it started as a Catholic high school, it's a private high school, John Baptist Memorial High School had a fire, and uh, it was pretty sad, you know, we thought that we were going to lose the whole building, but apparently not, they're going to have it all cleaned up and at least in enough repair to open again on Monday, which amazed me. I figured they wouldn't be back in there this year, but uh, it was a three-alarm fire, they had they had all kinds of different departments here in town fighting it, and um at one point, somebody had put on Facebook that smoke was sinking into the downtown area because the high school is up on a hill, and the downtown area is probably almost at sea level i mean it's you know we're we're right on the coast here in Maine, but we're not on the coast the rock bound coast we're on a tidal river, so we're down low <laughs> and uh the smoke was sinking, probably the cold air was helping it sink, and just, you know, everything is downhill to the downtown area from in our town, so I thought it was going to be a lot worse. I didn't go over and look at it while it was actually, you know, burning before they had contained it, but it had gotten into the floors and stuff, and usually in an old building, that's when it's done, but um, if you're interested in that, there are some pretty interesting pictures of the building. It's a uh, stone. Stone construction. And had some effort put into it at the time it was built, which I believe was in the early nineteen hundreds, so it's a, a pretty building. Nice looking. Okay, um I wasn't going to read to you all night, but I really like this too. I saw the I saw on Godlight Productions this week somebody had posted a thread on a day in the life of a New World Order slave, and I really liked the way they wrote it, so I copied and pasted it. I don't know if it's even still there. I try to save stuff, copy and paste, in case they erase it, or take the thread down. So this is what they wrote, okay? See if this sounds like our life right now, and what's wrong with our life. A lot, but... Sometimes you have to, you know, look away from it just so you can stand it. But just listen to this. It really got me the day I read it. Okay, a day in the life of a New World Order slave. This is your your day, okay? Wake up. Brush teeth with fluoride toothpaste. Shower with industrial fluoride waste in public water. Microwave breakfast sandwich destroying the protein in it. Eat a GMO food bar full of cancer-causing grain, oil from corn, soy, cotton, canola, wheat. Check the weather on microwave radio frequency cell phone that tracks your location, text, conversations, contacts, associations, and web traffic searches all the time. Check balance on debit cards so the New World Order knows where you are and how much money you don't have. Pay at the pump for gas with debit cards so the New World Order knows when, what, and how much you filled up drive to work in city with sky cop cameras so the new world order knows how you get to work clock in so employer can record your hours worked and take out fed state local social security health insurance money from your pay drink a gmo soda filled with mineral robbing disease casing disease causing high fructose corn syrup and sometimes human dna flavor modifiers industrial fluoride waste put in the public water sodium benzoate rominated, vegetable oil, artificial colors, artificial sweeteners, and preservatives. Absorb radiofrequency radiation all day long from cell phones, towers, Wi-Fi routers, smart meters, remote monitoring data systems, Wi-Fi computers, and electronic devices like two-way radios, inventory tracking, and anti-theft systems. Use the restroom full of toxic cleaners and disinfectants and air fresheners. Wash hands with toxic soap full of chemicals that get absorbed through the skin. Use company-provided cleaners without reading the labels telling you not to touch, inhale, or absorb product. Eat some snack food full of GMO corn, soy, cottonseed, chemical preservatives. Eat lunch full of GMO fluoride from city water, fried food full of cancer-causing oils, and crispy browned meats and vegetables GMO soda. Watch New World Order corporate news sports during lunch so you know little or nothing of anything that will significantly affect you or others in the real world. Drink an energy drink full of caffeine, artificial sweeteners, colors and preservatives to stay awake and keep going to the end of the work shift. Clock out so they know when to stop paying you and taking away, withholding your pay. Drive home while constantly being tracked, recorded by cell phone, OnStar, other vehicle tracking monitoring system while listening to music full of lyrics, promoting sex, drinking, revenge, divorce, fighting and losing control. Eat a processed food dinner. Lacking any good nutrition and full of GMO, preservatives, and herbicide and pesticides absorbed into the food. Watch TV programming to space out, relax, and absorb what the five or six mega media corporations want you to believe is the world you live in. Like. Live in like. <laughs> That's a good one. Schools are where you go to learn. Drugs te- treat disease and make you better. Vaccines prevent disease. Humans are animals. There is no God or sin. War, drone strikes, and abortion is not murder, just getting rid of a problem. Food is what you buy and eat from a restaurant, grocery store, or a vending machine. Your elected leaders do the will of the people, and you get to pick them. I love it. Um, I have a link to the local fire and police. I used to listen to the scanner all the time. And I was almost like hooked on it. I couldn't leave the house if something cool was going on because I wanted to know what was going to happen. Well, when the scanner started changing, um, it was actually good because it got me away from it because I couldn't do it anymore. Well, yesterday, because of the fire at the John Baptist Memorial High School, my sister told me how to get on stream and listen to the scanner traffic on it. And I went, oh, no, because now I'll get hooked on it again. But I kept the link to that we used to laugh about the people that were the news beacons of the county
2: Um, yeah the structural
1: chart this is the one might be one I found or it might be the one that I grabbed from there last night I think this is the one Maybe Dottie already gave it to you. Oops. Click.
2: Oh, come on now. Does paste. There you go. See if that's the one. Organizational chart for Maine. Somebody put up last night. I think it was Leon that did that. I'm not sure. Uh, James
1: Kinn is asking, what was the show on it, or was Squatchman this morning? I think they were going to rerun um, the show from last night that I was talking about earlier, Maine Exposed. I think they were going to rerun that this morning. So if you heard something on the radio and didn't hear it on Talk Show, it might have been that recording. All
2: right. Desert Pete, are you going to call in tonight? giving you a chance to call in if you want to. Got
1: a couple of boys that got lost um, on a snowmobile trail during that extreme cold where we had all the wind and everything this past week. It was very, very dangerous weather. There was a woman from New York who froze to death on a mountain. Um, She was in the White Mountains hiking during that time and froze to death and these two boys, I think it was the next morning or maybe two days I think I think it was the next morning, um, they were missing they had gone on a snowmobile ride up to their, I think their grandfather's campus where they were going and didn't arrive and so everyone was concerned that they were going to be found dead and they managed to figure out how to go into a shed and make a fire and they stayed warm all night and then in the morning they were rescued so that was pretty amazing. They were—they uh, didn't get scared. They just did what they were supposed to do. So um, that was a happy outcome. There were a lot of people that were having a fit saying that these kids shouldn't have been allowed to go out on a snowmobile and what kind of parents did they have and all this. But I'm telling you that in Maine, this is not an unusual thing. Um, unless people live in the cities, they've been raised to take care of themselves for the most part. And it's because you can die really easy if you're not prepared. Be prepared for everything, so
2: All right, so Desert Pete's
1: gonna call in. And let's see who else is on here. Yeah, they're now they're talking about some superbug, I think out in California, they're talking about uh diseases in the chat. And uh, they, um, the thing I heard on the news tonight, they were saying that there wasn't any way to treat it, and then they said that the hospital or the makers of the device or whatever that got people sick, they were sorry. <laughs> so I was like, oh, we're apologizing for our, our uh, infecting you with something you can't get over and there's no cure for. <laughs> we're sorry. <laughs> I guess that makes it all well again. Okay, it clicked on you, Desert Pete. Why aren't you unmuting? Oh, there you are. You're on uh, now.
4: There I am. Okay. Yep. Good evening.
1: Good evening.
4: Um, another week of just raw survival out here. Um, I'm embarrassed with the warm weather we've had out here while you guys are buried in snow back there.
1: Buried in snow and very cold. It's almost the cold was almost worse than the snow this past week. But I have uh, friends who have just traveled to Florida in the last day. They drove down in like 24 hours, I think it is, from here to there, straight driving. And um, they ran into weather on the way down, but they did get to Florida today. They were down around Cocoa Beach area, but it's in the 20s in Florida right now. (laughs) So some vacation supposed to be hot in Florida this time of year, so you can go down there and get a relief from the, you know, winter.
4: Well, that's always the joke here in California is uh, whenever we have friends from back east come visit that they bring the cold weather with them. and So that's the few times yeah. we get, to get cold snaps. But, uh, uh, so I guess well, it happens in to Florida too.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like the reputation of this person. It's one of my former students, and uh, he, he's always saying if he didn't have – bad luck he'd have no luck at all and there's always something happening you know to them but um his sister-in-law just won a car yesterday and he he and his brother well he and his girlfriend and his brother and two of their children their sons went to florida together because somebody down there was ill in the family but they were also going to take a vacation so the brother went because of going to see this relative and um the brother's wife won a car yesterday and he wasn't home to see it. It was a drawing for like um United Way or something. There was like a raffle or some kind of thing like that and she she won a car. Two thousand fifteen Volkswagen Jetta. Well bright red.
4: <laughs> big prizes like that are always a mixed blessing though. That yeah. right, if if they needed a car that's that's fantastic. The trouble is now you immediately have what, four to $8,000 $8, of the income tax due. Yeah. <laughs> on, There'll be
1: something that'll happen. There always is. But it was just funny because they're always saying, yeah, right, no good luck. They never have good luck, and then she wins that car. Yeah. And, um,
4: they, they, they so they just that was added, pretty cool. They just added thirty or $40,000 to their income tax, and the IRS loves it.
1: Yeah, that. really. Yeah. She might end up having to sell it just to get the money out of it. But I don't know. I suppose they'll decide that later. So what else that, is happening out there? Anything?
4: Uh, well, the weather's been good, but uh, the economy is still miserable. I'm, I'm not seeing much happen at all. Uh, on the electric motor front, I'm seeing uh, oh, typical Silicon Valley one-upsmanship going on here. Uh, yeah. The stories come out that Apple wants to invent an electric car. And to do so, they are stealing people from Tesla Motors. And mm-hmm. the story got reported that they are offering engineers who used to work at Tesla a $250,000 sign-on bonus along with an extra 10 or 20%, I forget the exact number, above what Tesla was paying them. Wow. Uh, Apple is sitting on something like 178 billion dollars worth of the cash. Uh, the CEO doesn't have enough ethics to pay that out as dividends to the stockholders. No, they want to acquire something else. Um, whatever. That, that's his decision. It's not a position I've ever been in to, to decide what to do with that much money. But... Uh, yeah but things like that are uh are going on out out here in the uh the land of fat cats in Silicon Valley. Uh which is not really helping anybody. Uh it's just going to allow uh, a few more guys to buy nice houses up in Silicon Valley is all that's going to amount to. Maybe a uh, 100 people are getting transferred. It's not mass hiring. I mean the the good old days of aerospace, when when aerospace landed a multi billion dollar contract from the Pentagon, they went on mass hiring sprees, and that's how I got into aerospace. Was a uh, dumb guy who's uh, uh, <laughs> a a wannabe recording engineer, uh, suddenly hears that uh, that Lockheed is hiring because they got some big contract. Nobody knew exactly what it was at the time, but they hired people off the street and trained you and they had excellent training this was not uh, these were not poor level teachers these are not what you find in public schools Uh, these were the real engineers who had designed parts for the Hubble uh, structural parts and were presently designing L-1011 parts and real stuff that really worked and those were the teachers that taught us how to make this stuff and how to how to run machines. So Lockheed's training is, I can sort of that's the best teaching I've ever had. It was teachers I could respect because I knew they knew how to do what they were talking about. Yeah, oh.
1: so, I mean, we were taught how to do stuff. We weren't taught to go find somebody else to do it. Uh-huh. So, and I don't think that that continued. I don't think that. Teaching style continued past our generation. Honestly, not no. that much.
4: Well, the the record stands now. Silicon Valley doesn't want to pay, except in this rare case of of stealing employees from another company. That was a comment I made to my one of my friends here. Is is the best way to find a job is to already have one with a hot company, so that you get stole, stolen away from them. But uh, yeah. if if you are between jobs and have nothing to offer, nobody wants to talk to you. Uh, man, it's it's the old spouse cheating on his wife routine. There's, it goes both ways. Somebody cheating on their spouse because they they'd rather chase with somebody that's already taken rather than looking at somebody who's legitimately available. Uh yeah. it, just human nature I guess. But uh but Silicon Valley is no better. Uh now they're they're offering these enormous bonuses. I mean two hundred fifty that's a quarter million dollars. So for every four people they hire there goes another million just in higher on bonuses. Uh so when they're throwing out big numbers like that, uh, it's helping a few, but it's it's not fueling California's economy at all it's it's still as tight out here as anywhere.
1: I think yeah. we just have to stop looking at what they're doing and just do our thing. Yeah. Now, that's the conclusion I'm coming to because they don't really care about what happens to everybody else. And yeah. they're going to care eventually because they can't do all this stuff themselves. They don't even have the talents to do it themselves. And they think money is going to buy anything. And at some point, it's not going to buy anything for them. It's just no.
4: uh Yeah, the uh, the stability of the U.S. dollar and several other world currencies are are up at stake right now, and we've got this uh, crazy ma- manipulation going on, trying to trying to harm Russia, but it's also a disaster for Venezuela and several other oil producing countries. Uh, Saudi Arabia is going to weather it for a while, but uh i don't know how long that's going to happen i was i was he- even hearing indications that it it's starting to have its its effect over in United arab emirates uh so that's the land of Dubai and glamorous skyscrapers yeah. and and island yeah. cities and and whatnot and uh oh, well they may have to tone nice. that back their uh their extravagance a bit.
1: I saw something today, I didn't read it, but it was supposedly United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia were going to be funding Hillary's campaign. And I, I looked at it and went, yeah, well, I'm not even going to read that because I don't care. We pretty much know that the big money comes out whenever they want a certain person in office, so possible.
4: Yeah, well, Clinton some have been getting away with, uh, with breaking constitutional law and, and using international funds for years. Uh, they're, they're now f- finding that one of the biggest donors to it was, was coming through Swiss bank accounts and, and offshore uh, locations. That's finally getting exposed. Uh, another little tidbit was a a uh, million-dollar donor to the Clinton Foundation was Newsmax, supposedly a conservative online website,
1: I haven't heard of that for a while. Are they still running around doing stuff? I haven't heard of Newsmax for a while.
4: Well, they're still there. I, uh, I gave uh, up on them when, uh, when a lot of their editorial content was turned neocon. And I don't consider neocons as conservatives. They are frauds. Um,
1: well, they're certainly out to help themselves, that's for sure.
4: Yeah. But uh, no, that was uh, a tidbit I just saw in the news today. Was a million dollars track back to them, and the, huh. I guess the uh, the founder, of the publisher, I forget the guy's name, uh, has been buddy buddy, uh, lunch buddy with uh, with Bill Clinton since 2007. Well, totally. what's that all about?
1: <laughs> well,
4: wow. uh, yeah, it doesn't well, take
1: long to make the associations, anyways.
4: If to it's see uh,
1: who's, who's the friend.
4: If it's glossy and glitzy, and has no dropouts, <laughs> it's it's probably corrupt. But but if the internet feed keeps going bad every five minutes, like Able Danger's, yeah, it, it's probably got pretty good content.
1: <laughs> yeah, really.
4: That that is getting annoying. Every time I tune into Able Danger, it's it's running about seven or eight minutes, and then the video conks out or loses the stream. Yeah,
1: I get a lot of that too. I get a lot of buffering. I remember when Craig was saying he thought it was because field didn't have the correct settings on his computer and then it would clear up for a while and then it would go back to bad again. So yeah. I don't know, maybe they just need some technical people there that, you know, want to mess around in the equipment and see what's going on.
4: Yeah, well, I, j- I just Similar know... Similar stuff experience. happens
1: to Jack, because his computer's full of stuff. Jack on the wristwatchman. Watchmen.
4: Uh, does his crash often? or?
1: Oh, yeah, he's always... He's always having yep. trouble with something, and it, I just—I said to him one time when I saw him, I went, you know, I'd love to get your computer and just clean it. It's probably full of like malware and who knows what else. Right. But he puts a lot of stuff on there, and then when he tries to open Windows, he ends up, you know, losing it or whatever. He—he he always says, oh, this computer, you know, but I don't know if he cleans it of all that junk.
4: Yeah. Yeah well as as time goes along we all need more and more powerful computers just to be able to do the same thing just to be able to tread water and stay where we're at we need a more powerful computer to stay there because these web browsers keep getting fatter and fatter with more bloatware uh, yeah. man I, I used to be thrilled about mozilla firefox but my gracious it eats up my resources lately it's got so many it has to run on so many plugins. ins that that fire up whenever it's open and and just suck resources out of the out of the CPU so you can't do anything else. Uh I know whenever Field tries to play a YouTube video at the same time, it always crashes on me. So that probably has something to do with it. So he needs a uh, kind of a, a workstation powered computer, I guess, to uh Handle yeah, it. I
1: think it sucks up all his bandwidth or something, and then he can't do yeah. it. Because he's, I mean, he's really not located in a, he's kind of centralized, but not as far as computer networks would go, I doubt it, because he's living in a rural area. Yeah. So, he may have connection problems right where he is.
4: Yeah. Um. Well, it's surprising where fast internet speed shows up at times, but,
3: uh, yeah.
4: Oh. Uh, the the fastest connections i've ever heard of was at a an office building i i was in over in in Las Vegas once and i found out that that happened to be the same company that was hosting for eBay and i go oh big oh, website yeah. like that and <laughs> they told me the the speed connection they had available at all their ports was a gigabyte a second That's enormous. Well,
1: they say there's there's like uh, the the uh, seat of government is in Vegas or something. It's like several layers underground or something like that. There's supposedly some installation out in Vegas that.
4: Uh, well, Area 51, of course, has lots of stuff going in and out of there. Uh, whether it's it's fiber optic, and to an extent, I ought to have a good connection here because I'm real close to China Lakes. The Navy Weapons Center on China Lakes is kind of the head of Naval Military Intelligence, on the west coast at least. Uh, and on one of my many trips across the desert, I saw uh, an installation crew going across all this <laughs> desert foliage and, and sand. Uh, and what were they installing? Another fiber optic line coming up from it looked like it was coming up from San Bernardino area, and it was aiming directly to China Lakes. So as if they didn't have enough fiber connections, they were installing another one. And this was a, a big fiber cable as big around as your arm, and so you can just imagine how many strands of fiber were inside that, probably a few thousand. And each strand yeah. of fiber is good for an enormous amount of data. So... uh uh, Yeah, nice if you've got the money uh, for it. But yeah, la- last week you were talking about under $1 balances, and my gracious. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, my, I haven't even looked at my checking account in like two days because I don't want to see what it says. I know it's like probably 100 and something in the hole right now, so I'm not even looking at it. I can't do anything about it, so what's the point of looking at it? It's just going to make me stressed out so I can't sleep or do anything. I'm frustrated beyond belief.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The um, the check that was supposed to come from the city, because my tenant went for general assistance, he was put off till I think it was the end of January, like the 30th or something. It was late in the month. Told to come back then. And applied for the assistance. Brought me the slip that day. It's like a sheet of paper. You have to sign it, send it back to them brought it that day, I signed it, and mailed it that day because I wanted it back as soon as possible, and I still don't have that check. And it's the 19th of February. That was for his partial January rent. It's, I mean, nobody cares. They're just like casual about everything. It's driving me nuts because I need that money. I mean, I get threatened for not paying bills too, like everybody else. And I know. It's just you know the city doesn't care they're not doing this whatever they're probably playing a game with the governor because there's some stuff going on here right now as well with revenue sharing um the cities are mad about the fact that he wants to get rid of this revenue sharing stuff that they do which is that everybody pays in the money to the state and then they beg to get some back and of course the cities have more needs supposedly so they get more money back well he's trying to cut back on that stuff and end it i believe and um So it could have something to do with that. I don't know. Like, you know, we'll just slow down paying people. But it's causing like a ripple effect, and there's no need of it. You know, I'm owed more money than most people make in a year. I'm owed from people because over time I've loaned money to people I shouldn't have. I, you know, put money where I shouldn't have, and I've lost money on top of it because of what the banks have done. And it's just, it's ridiculous. I shouldn't be getting threatened in the mail, that's for sure, by, you know, do this or else kind of stuff.
3: Um, And it's
1: just, that's why I say saving my empire, because I keep thinking, just keep downsizing until it gets under control again. But being responsible for other people's living conditions and their, you know, ability to stay warm and eat during the winter while I'm starving to death and trying to keep myself going is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? I'm not people's mother. Well, I am, but they're grown up. Um, I'm not their caregiver. I am their landlord, <laughs> so it's like ah, frustrating.
4: I know. Uh, being a landlord has always been a well, in times of a of a real economy, a a nice business to be in. But in times of a tight economy. I'm concerned about finding anybody who can afford regular rent <laughs> anywhere. Oh.
1: Uh, no, a few days ago I was like, okay, let's just drain the pipes and run like hell. I was sort of joking, though, because I would probably never leave Maine. I can't imagine it. I'd, no. I wouldn't fit in anywhere else because I'd just be telling people constantly that they were nuts or whatever. I just couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand to be in the places where people are, you know, enamored of big boobs and lots of makeup I'd be laughing at them every day I'd be going what are you doing (laughs) you know I just I don't understand that whole thought process or the big showy you know vehicles and even if I had the money I wouldn't do that it just I don't know it shows a really shallow lifestyle and I wouldn't be able to stand it so I'd be a fish out of water and I'd be trying to find Maine in another location, and I don't believe it exists in other location.
4: Uh, I'm not into that stuff either, uh, and it may sound crazy why I admire Las Vegas. It has nothing to do with the downtown or strip area. It has to do with Vegas has the most affordable nice houses of any place I've looked at in the country. Uh, is is the only reason I admire that town that and the just the, the the general business atmosphere is is uh, is different than uh
1: yeah than i knew i else. knew somebody that lived out there that liked it they weren't living in the city though but they really like vegas
4: oh yeah it, it. It, it's yeah. definitely a suburb <laughs> a couple of miles away from the city uh where you find yeah. real houses and and stay away from that that city stuff they uh huh. massive money built condominiums right down down on the strip, and they've kept the prices really high on those things, as small and tiny as they are, I think it's still uh, like a quarter of a million dollars or closer to a half a million dollars for like a one-bedroom, tiny condo down on the strip, and who wants to blow that? That That's kind of like Los Angeles money.
1: Yeah, uh, really. You
4: expect to see that. That's not Vegas. But uh, I guess there's some people that like that. They just want to be amongst the lights and all the downtown pizzazz all the time. That's up to them.
1: Oh, yeah. The the woman that took care of my father when he was aging and where he was when he died, she goes to Vegas on vacation all the time, and she'll post pictures of all the fun she's having there. And it's just like, you know, the bunch of them go out there and party. They go out there and party on their vacations. That's what they like to do.
4: Yeah, it's uh it's a 24-hour party on on Las Vegas Boulevard and about a one block radius. Uh but you just go a mile away and it's a completely different town. Uh the the suburb and and living area of Vegas is nothing like the downtown area. The downtown is the only one that gets media attention. Uh and that's all you ever see on television is uh, the flashy lights and and all the the gaudiness yeah. of of that. But, yep. uh, but man, you go a mile away from there, and you find some beautiful homes at reasonable prices for what you get. Yeah. The uh,
1: thing so, is, Nevada is just full of government land. I remember that from the Bundy Ranch stuff when I saw the map of Nevada, and there's hardly anything that's yeah. privately owned in Nevada.
4: Well, what. True. When when you get when you get 30 miles away from from Las Vegas, now now you're out in the desert jack and radioactive jackrabbits. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it's like I mean that that's blowing over people that live there. And then there's Harry Reid too. I mean, it's like you know. yeah. <laughs> I don't know Harry Reid. I know some of these people in Maine. So. You know, well, I think we can make a. I think we can make an impact in Maine just for the mere fact that we don't have as many people here, and so we have a, an ability to go directly to them. I'm really happy that people are going directly to them at the end of the month.
3: If Not you've that seen far the-
1: apart. It's like, what, six, no, wait, seven days from now is when they're going to be there at the court, I believe.
4: So
1: that's pretty cool.
4: Well, if you've seen the the pictures Drudge has been running of Harry Reid lately, he looked wow. like he walked down the wrong alley at the wrong time of night. Oh, uh, I knew
1: he'd gotten, supposedly, something had happened to his face. He fell on, like, a treadmill or something. That's well, yeah, head, I he
4: claimed a uh, an exercise accident, but he, he looks like yeah. he was beaten up by a gang of street thugs. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so maybe his his time is coming due that he's got to pay the piper for uh, all the criminal stuff he's been doing on the side i don't know but no getting getting back to real people's budget and real people with small businesses like us yeah. uh no our lights are about to turn get turned off this week so i had yeah. a doll- I had 1 in my pocket so i went to one account and deposited it Praise the Lord for these new ATMs that take raw cash yeah. and acknowledge it as cash. Yeah. So I I was able to raise that bank balance from $39 to 80 cents over $40 and I was able then able to take $40 out of that account and put it into another account and know, depositing that's so awful. Depositing that into another business account, I was able to get that balance up over a hundred so that I could then go down the street and pay the uh the electric bill of ninety seven something <laughs> before the lights get turned yeah. off on friday uh,
1: <laughs> yeah that's... we had we had uh i forget what it was something probably something we sold on eBay but we got we got a little bit of money, and I went, so what do we do with this you know because it's like Everything's late. Every single thing is late.
3: Oh. And I went, I hear you. Well,
1: I said, Well, since we need to sell stuff on eBay, the, we need the internet because <laughs> otherwise we can't check on the bank balances
3: to exactly. over to
1: the bank or whatever. And we also need to be able to sell on eBay. So it's like that has to be paid. <laughs> so I did that. But if things had happened in the right order and when they normally should have happened, I wouldn't have had this problem because what uh, it's like. You know, you pay, well, this is what my strategy has been in the past, is you pay the home equity lines of credit, and then you can use that money again. You can actually pay them twice. You pay the bank and satisfy them, and then you use the money again. You can pay two two bills with it. And uh, because stuff has come in the wrong order, some of the bills haven't gotten paid like that, so now I have to come up with both of them. I have to come up with both of those. Both, Both payments, last month, this month. You know, and now it's big. It wasn't big at the beginning of the month. It's getting big now because now they're starting to get antsy because that's what they do after 30 days. They get antsy and start putting the pressure on, yeah. turning those thumb screws.
4: And, so, and all the time we have flashbacks of the old black and white scene on the Ed Sullivan show of the guy balancing a dozen plates on the end of sticks.
1: Yeah, I remember him.
4: Oh.
1: I forget his name, but I think we knew it.
4: Oh no! It's just it's just the, the the word picture of of seeing somebody oh. spinning plates on uh, breakable plates on the end of a stick, and you got like a dozen going, and that's what a 2015 economy is is uh, you got to keep it. Well, your or like big.
1: Lucy trying to get all the chocolates on that conveyor belt. She couldn't yeah. make it. it
4: she was too speeding. much at once. Right.
1: You know, and it is really it's the deadlines more than anything because. You know, anybody, once they realize they're in trouble, they can stop consumption, usually, of a lot of stuff. They don't have to, I mean, they might not be able to as far as, like, the electric or something, but they can they can um, downsize a lot of their spending fast, usually. But, yeah. if they, you know, if they're going to start putting a lot of pressure on, then you just have to let it go. You have to say, all right, can't do that, can't do that. I don't think we're going to bother to get our cell phones back. I think we're just going to pay the final bill and be done with them because, you know, to stress over having cell phone bills paid when it isn't really for our benefit anyway—it's for theirs. <laughs> they use them to track people with.
4: I, you know, had, yeah, I had to give up all of our cell phones. Uh, we had had more for more than one for the business, and I just had to let yeah. everybody know. No, we can't pay it. They're they're all shutting down now this afternoon, and I haven't been able to restart them. Oh, uh, yeah. We, uh,
1: you know, I know a lot of people got rid of their landlines in their homes. I would never do that because if you have an emergency, you need to be able to use a phone. Oh,
4: exactly. Use a
1: cell phone in an emergency.
4: Well, uh, along oh. with that, the other thing I'm encountering are people that don't even have checks printed anymore.
1: Yeah,
4: They do everything electronically.
1: Yeah, They're going to be in trouble when the whole system comes down. They're going to be in a lot of trouble because they won't be able to do a darn thing.
4: That be- became kind of a personal issue with an otherwise good friend where yeah. I did him something of a favor that was worth a certain amount of money and he offered to remunerate me for my time, and I said, thank you, just mail a check to this address. Oh, he doesn't have checks anymore.
1: <laughs> well, Money order, go well. to the store and get a money order.
4: Excuse <laughs> me, you, you <laughs> owe me 50 bucks, and you're telling me you can't pay me because you don't have a checkbook? You're an adult? not yeah,
3: really. I know. You're an
4: adult with no checkbook? I, know. I can't believe that for an excuse but lately I've run into two friends like that. I couldn't believe that. You you might expect a a teenager to not have a checking account yet, but an over 40-year-old adult who does everything by either uh, his credit card or uh, PayPal. Well, I have issues with my PayPal account. Uh I know what it is, but I don't choose to use it for a variety of reasons. Uh, and and getting cash out of your PayPal account is not all that easy either. you got to transfer it into your bank account. And so now you have to expose PayPal to all your banking info. Yeah, I don't like that. I'd rather PayPal was a separate bank. But uh, No, they're not. Uh, You've probably encountered this other thing as as we're both looking into establishing priorities here to to allocate that $100 onto whatever it can actually cover. And most often than not, it doesn't cover half of what it's supposed to. Uh, My priorities keep changing kind of by the hour. Yeah, because that, uh, you can't
1: count on anything. You have got to keep reassessing and come up with some some other idea of how to do things.
4: Okay, that's how ra- I I see it. Well, the rationale you you just mentioned. Well, we got to have internet to to be able to get email and and talk to yeah. people. Okay. So now internet is top on the priority. But what if they're going to yeah, turn your power off? Yeah, but what about up? the
1: insurance? What about the insurance on the car? You can't just like not have insurance on the car.
4: Exactly. What about the car payment?
1: If you don't pay that, they're coming to get it. Then you won't have any transportation.
4: Exactly. You know?
1: I am just sick of it. I'm sick of having to worry about all this stuff. It
4: exactly. makes me really
1: upset and ticked off, and that doesn't do any good either because being upset and ticked off doesn't solve any problem. It's just a way to rant and rave and get emotions out.
4: But you, you I've learned
1: just... since I've gotten older. <laughs>
4: You, you just rattle off the same list I'm facing here. Uh, oh, I think Internet yeah. is, is top priority? No. What if they turn off the power? You can't even turn on your computer. Okay, well, maybe I better pay the power first, and then the Internet is next. And then, okay, so now I may, I'm still able to talk to people uh, with the Internet. Oh, but now they expect me to show up somewhere? Now I better have a vehicle working. And you're right. Well, one Uh, thing,
1: if the lights are off, they can't call your cordless phone and tell you stuff either, because if your (laughs) lights are off, then that's not going to come on.
4: Yeah. Well, our our internet is tied to our telephone line here, so we have to keep the the landline going with the internet. Mine is on my
1: phone now, too, because I took a package deal,
4: and the reason I did
1: it was because of getting cut off from my phone last winter during the worst part of living i'm I'm glad i'm not at least at that point because that was pretty bad last winter and i was swearing that we were not going to do that again ever do that again and look what happened you just can't count on anything
3: you think you know
1: what you're doing and you plan on it based on your previous experience and what you think is going on and then the next day you get up and it's totally different they've changed something again and you know i used to think okay they're you know they're working against us they're working against us and think that's not really a healthy way to look at it that they're actually out to get us but it's the truth and it's been the truth for a long yeah. time
4: they're painting us into a corner yeah i guess the only thing we can do is is blow harder and dry off the paint <laughs> uh yeah to, to get out of the, this trap that we're being painted into uh because, yeah, now, now I'm facing another dilemma. Uh, one of my corporate registrations is in default status. And as far as state registrations go, you, you they have several levels of delinquency. Default just means you're late. But if you go yeah. at a certain period of time, they revoke it. And yeah. then yeah. it gets real expensive to fix it after that. And then if you let that go a certain period of time, it falls into the permanent revoke station condition. And when it's permanently revoked, you got to have a team of attorneys to pull that thing out of the fire. <laughs>
3: uh,
4: so yeah. uh, anyway, all right, so getting back to the square one, we got to keep communications going. Okay, well, so my communications went well. Now I happen to have... An investor interested in helping me out with a substantial amount of funds, but yeah. the first thing they check is the credibility of your corporation. Oops! Now I got to get that bill covered.
1: <laughs> yeah, really? It's, uh, you know, it's like at some point you just say, "I don't care," because what can you do about it? <laughs> Unless you're good at print printing money in the basement that'll pass for real. You know, not that I'm saying anybody should counterfeit money except for the government but
4: Well, yeah, the um, Federal Reserve does it all the time, but
1: uh Yeah, they print out whatever they want, so they don't have any needs. They don't even need money anyway. They just really when you think about it, they don't. They do whatever they need for free, pretty much. We think what's going to happen here in Bangor is going to be interesting because they put an awful lot of stuff, a lot of improvements, and like I said, some infrastructure things that the people in Bangor didn't really want, but they just did it anyway and and um, figured they'd have their their money to work on, you know, work on this stuff indefinitely. And I think that uh, LePage has put a monkey wrench in that with some of this revenue sharing stuff. They, I don't think they know what they're going to do now going to be very interesting to see the, what the summer looks like coming because, um, you know, they really, they it's like when, when people overspend at Christmas and then they have to make up for it the next few months because they overspent.
4: <clears throat> yeah, that's so why I don't think I've had a a typical Christmas for 15, 20 years. No. Uh, the yeah, all
1: that, Angel, was, you know, all that part of my life was.
4: Yeah, all that part of my life was back when I lived in the city. But uh, I, I just can't yeah. do things like that anymore. Uh, yeah,
1: so, I think uh, that most people would be better off just living a very simple life and stay out of sight. <laughs> you know, they have to find you to give to uh, get your money out of you. They have to find you. Hard to you hard
4: know, to get your money if you're not there. Rentz had a guest on this last week who was visiting. I think it was Costa Rica or one of the Central American country that countries that has a lot of uh, expatriates living down there. Uh, and he was asking, well, what kind of a social life and activity do you do down here? And well, because they're foreigners in a foreign country that speaks a different language than what they lived here in America, most of them were answering them that they just simply did nothing. They just enjoyed doing nothing. Well, to people who are used to the daily activities of life, that sounds too much like prison. So I don't care how beautiful the the palm trees and the ocean waves are, uh, if you've got nothing to do every day but nothing... I that know. That turns into enslavement. Or not, not enslavement. We're, we're such
1: th- northerners, because northerners are the ones that like to work.
4: Uh, you are correct in that. Uh, yeah, most, we
1: like to have something to do. We don't want to just sit around.
4: Most civilization advances have come from well above the equator. And it seems the, the laziest lifestyles are people who see the sun rise and set at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. every day of the year and never have weather concerns. That's equatorial living. And you really don't see ingenuity and brilliant inventions and civilization advances coming from any country right next to the equator on any continent. Uh, Nature is too nice to them. (laughs) And and they don't have any reason to go out and improve anything.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I can see why if somebody's having a good life and they have everything they need, that they wouldn't see any reason to change that. I mean, I I think they have a right to decide what they want to do in their own little village or whatever, their own town. But what we've had happen to us is that we've allowed people to come in and tell us every aspect of our life, what we're going to do, and it's not to suit us, it's to suit them. And that's where the that's where the conflict lies. That's why when um, Jeff Gratwick came to the door talking about his candidacy and how he wanted to, you know, help with all these things, I mean, he came riding up on his bike. I talked about him before. And Dougie probably knows who Jeff Gratwick is. He's, um, I think he retired now, but he was a doctor. And um, very much into the, you know, sustainability stuff, which immediately raises red flags with me. I just go, okay, that's UN Agenda 21, you know. And he was talking about all the different things that were going on in Bangor and how, you know, they were going to be doing these nice neighborhoods downtown and revitalizing and all this stuff. And that it was better. And I said, What do you mean it's better? And he goes, Well, it's just better. It's going to clean up a lot of that old stuff down there. It's going to be, you know, he was trying to promote all the things they were doing, how great it was. And I said, Well, I said, What if I don't want to live in one of those places? And it, he just went blank. I knew then that he couldn't put his brain into another place. It was just that was the way it should be for all mankind, basically. <laughs> It was the best way to do it, and by gosh, we were going to find a way to do it. And I just looked at him and I said, what if I don't want to live in one of those houses or one of those condos or whatever they are, apartments in high-density neighborhood? <laughs> don't I have a right to decide where I want to live? And he was just like flabbergasted because he couldn't imagine anybody would think that it would be better not to live there. Mind you, I doubt he would be living there but that's how these you know they get in these like one track mind things where it's just everybody should do this it's just everybody and whenever i hear that now like when they have like specials on tv or something they're talking about some project or the people somewhere and they talk about the community i always go the community cuz they even say it like that um that everybody should be doing the same thing because that's the right way to do it they just don't even get individuality at all. You have to force it right into their face. No, I don't know why.
4: Yeah, well, yes, if you follow our uh, our northern innovation uh, theory to its extreme, that the most innovative people in the world should be Eskimos. But that really hasn't proven the case either, other than learning well, how to insulate survival, a a, a house made out of snow.
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: Which is pretty innovative. Yeah, that was
1: something you made me think of something I was going to share too that I forgot about until you just said that. Something somebody in Bangor did that was really cute. It was a neighborhood project they did. And uh, I don't know if I can find it again, but, anyways, keep talking. It just related to igloos and and Eskimos. (sighs) Cute project they did. Hmm. Put a link to it so they can see it. They made it in glue is what they did in one of the neighborhoods during that really cold spell. Uh-huh. They all got together and did it, and it was just really cute. I know you, you don't
4: some follow... some of the neighborhoods,
1: cats. they do what?
4: I I know you don't follow cat pictures, but it, have you seen that viral thing going of uh, a lady opens up her, her door and there's a snow drift that's like two-thirds of the way up on the door? And so she puts a dish of cat food on top of the snowdrift. You see this big old tomcat comes flying, bursting through the snowdrift into the house.
1: No, anyway. I didn't see it.
4: One, one of many funny cat videos out there. And, uh,
1: I do look at some of the cat things. Apparently the internet likes cats.
4: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: I didn't grow up with cats in the house, and and, um, so I'm not a cat person, really. I've never... Other people's cats I've liked, you know, but I've never really... I had one cat that was really nasty, and I didn't really want another one after that.
4: Well, any pet is upkeep, too. And, yeah, condolences to to Val-Am, by the way, for for losing Mr. Jed there.
1: Uh, Oh, she did? uh, I missed that. I'm sorry, Val-Am.
4: I guess he uh he tangled with three three ornery, ornery gangland dogs.
1: Uh, <gasps> he messed up with dogs. Oh horrible. A lot of a lot of people have lost pets in the last week or two. It's it's almost like too much lately. I don't know what's happening, these poor animals. A lot of people have lost their animals in the last week or two. People that I know.
4: Well, chaotic animal uh, behavior is usually an indication of pending seismic uh activity. Uh is one of the stories I over, missed
1: so. that whole thing. I'm sorry, Val. Oh my gosh, she talks about Mr. Jed all the time. He's like a, you know, definitely a member of the family. Uh yeah. Here's the little link to the thing that I was Oh, nope, that's the hospital superbug again. What did I do? I didn't copy it right. The link right. That thing about the hospital superbug, I put that up earlier. Okay, here's the um multicolored igloo brings a Bangor neighborhood closer together. They did this as a like a project of the neighborhood and it was so cute. It has a picture of it. And um Little City neighborhood is what they're talking about, and it's over. It's, I could overlook it almost from where I live because there's a stream that runs down through Bangor, and I'm on the west side, and they're sort of on the east side. Little City is um, near St. Joseph Hospital. It's bounded uh, by a few of the older streets, and it's a, it's an older neighborhood, but the houses are nice in parts of it, and um, they apparently this bunch of people that live in that neighborhood get together a few times a year and do things as a group. And what they did was they dyed um, ice blocks with food coloring and they made an igloo out of it. And um, so the picture's there and stuff. Kind of okay. cute. Cute idea.
4: If my slow computer ever catches up with it, I'll be able to look at it in the a few Yeah, the link
1: minutes. is there. You can look at it whenever you want. But... Um, Yeah, I, I always thought it would be fun to get together with, with neighbors and do something like a um, like a block party or something because nowadays people don't know their neighbors anymore. And you don't have to be living in each other's houses to get to know them. And all it would be is, like, you know, do a cookout in the summer like or have a street dance or something, close off one of the streets, and get together and just say, you know, this is where we live and if you need anything, you know, come on over that kind of thing, just to make it a little friendlier. Um.
4: Yeah, well, well, you're you're reminding me of of 50s, uh, 1950s sitcoms, Ozzy and Harriet and whatever, where they always had had a neighbor that was spending half his life in the kitchen yakking with the stars of the show. I really don't remember neighbors like that that hung out in our house. (laughs) That was kind well, of we a... didn't
1: have we didn't have people that stayed like all day or anything, but we had people that would come to our house when uh-huh. I was growing up. Um, and I I had said this to my boyfriend before too. I think it was the same where he grew up. But you would be like, say you were home and and uh, it's quiet afternoon or something on Saturday or something, and people would just show up at your house.
3: Uh-huh. They would
1: just come visit. You didn't have to make an appointment. These were your friends or your family, and they just come over. Yeah. Like, you know, we were going to the store, we thought we'd stop in and see you guys. Like, okay, we'll put the coffee on. And it, we never thought anything about it. But, you know, things changed. People's schedules changed. And um, they started to be, you know, like, resentful of their time. It's like, oh, you can't just drop in on me because i got stuff to do. You know, I only have one day off a week or whatever. But in the old right. days, it wasn't like that. You know? As, and as a kid. You just told them. <laughs>
4: Yeah, as a kid, 50s and, back in the 50s and 60s, I guess I remember th- uh, that too. But moving out on my own, I, I pretty much immediately moved to Los Angeles and suddenly I'm in a big city. And it was uh, every man to himself, once you're behind your closed doors.
1: Well, I think that people also, when they got in each other's business, they tended to uh, interfere and it was like hard for people to say, I don't need your advice on that kind of thing. People yeah. changed. Back then, I mean, if if our neighbors had come over to, you know, talk for, have a coffee or whatever and talk for a little while, they respected the fact that, you know, at the end of the afternoon, you've got to get busy and make dinner or whatever. They wouldn't hang out through, like, dinner and, you know, yeah. they were more respectful of you. And yeah. it would be like if you were if you needed to go somewhere, you would just tell them, I need to leave. So I'm going to have to leave, you know, I can't visit anymore because I have to leave to go somewhere. I have a doctor's appointment or whatever. And they would say, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, we'll see you later. And they'd leave. So it wasn't like it was really imposing on you. It was just that they were friendly enough to come in. And, like, if somebody was working on something, like if you were busy redoing a room in your house and you're painting, they would help you. They wouldn't just sit there and take up your time. They would actually help you get it done. So... It was just different. You know, we had a different type of atmosphere growing up. So let's see. What are they talking about in here? They're talking about solar panels. And uh, see, they got their whole uh, energy thing going on in here, Desert Pete? They're talking about their solar panels. Mm. <laughs> uh,
4: and I can't talk and read at the same time. So. <laughs>
1: I know. Me either.
4: <clears throat> I'm missing my favorite topic there.
2: Well, they are uh, they're not really going
1: in depth on it too much, but
4: something just went boom out here. It's a little late. Oh, that's in the not evening. good.
1: In real life you mean?
4: Yeah. It's a little late for a huh. sonic boom. Although I guess technically it's only six, what, forty three in the evening out here, so Yeah, they might still be flying. Oh, it sounded too much like a sonic boom.
1: Hopefully everything's okay. Well, They've been having it's... meteors coming in lately, and those will make noise.
4: Somebody's in a hurry to get somewhere.
1: Uh, yeah, well, the meteors, that um, when they come in, don't they make a sonic boom also?
4: Uh, I guess I've been told they do. I've never experienced one. Uh, I've never experienced one close enough to me to hear anything like Remember that. Remember that
1: video of the Russian one that broke the windows and everything? Well, that
4: Russian one, that was, that was amazing that that many people had uh, dash cam cameras rolling when it came in. Yeah. Because uh, to see it that... It may have
1: been that it wasn't... It may have been something else. It could have been a weapon, actually, but...
4: Oh, uh, there's that, that story, too. But the but the yeah. point is, several cameras caught it. And yeah. that was... Uh, well, it just inspires you to why everybody needs a, a <laughs> their own dash cam. Don't don't wait for the police to be the only ones with it. Uh, get one of your own. Yeah. Because uh bizarre stuff jumps in front of your car at times. It'd be nice to uh to document it. I know when I was uh driving for Honda and we had to put on about 300 miles a day of uh, driving. Uh, I was on the evening shift and so driving back to the course one night way out at the edge of my headlights I saw something and okay I was on a a divided set of, of like almost interstate highway at the time and I remember seeing something leap across the road and it only touched the ground once and that's so that was like seven to ten foot strides between the edge of the pavement and the center and the and the next edge of the pavement. And I realized a mountain lion had just come down from the hills and it, it had just crossed the road in front of me. <laughs> yeah. I I wish I'd had some dash cam footage of, of that. Uh 'cause because man, those things can really jump along. Well, yeah. 10, 15 feet per per, per leap uh, when they're in a hurry to get somewhere. Uh, and I had just experienced one.
1: So. Yeah, the deer that landed in front of my car appeared out of the sky. I mean, it just came right down right in front of me. Okay. So some of them, they don't actually run. They they do that bounding thing, like you said. You just yeah. see it. It's like this huge leap or something. Uh-huh. Um, you don't see them coming, so makes that yeah. hard.
4: Well, so uh, yeah, my challenge for next week is to get my corporation smelling good, so that the, uh, the potential investor might uh, might want to do business with it. But uh,
3: yeah.
4: Oh boy, isn't one thing; it's another. And keep keep I know. the plate spinning. Even if yeah, you're, you're... really.
1: That's what you feel like you're doing. And it's just
4: something like shutting your cell phones down. Well, that just means you managed to capture the plate before it crashed to the ground and shattered. Yeah. <laughs> you, you didn't succeed in keeping it spinning, but you saved it from crashing. That's all you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but life won't go on until you can get it spinning again. Uh, or at least things can't proceed without it. So, it isn't one thing, it's another. Well, but, uh, I mean,
1: I feel like, you know, what do you really need? Food, clothing, and shelter. That's what we were always taught, the necessities of life are food, clothing, and shelter. So, if you have yeah. food and you have a place to live, and we all have way more than clothing than we need anyway, unless we're fashion designers or something, fashion plates.
4: But you <laughs> back there are faced with potentially fatal weather in the winter, And me out here, I am faced with potentially fatal weather in the summer.
1: Yeah, we're protected. Are you protected? Uh, We're protected by our utilities Utilities commission. That's it. They can't just shut your power off and make you freeze to death in your house. They have to go through certain steps for that.
4: Yeah, and I know the early American settlers uh, lived without air conditioning. Yeah. But... uh, that was kind of laborious work that they did in those days that was not trying to sit at a desk and and have calculations going through your mind and trying to manage a business like we have to today i think and that
1: we made a mistake when we went down that road well we really do Why do we need these jobs like you just described? What re- what would be the reason to have those jobs?
4: Because thinking back as a thinking back as a kid, I remember yeah. meeting way too many adults who had lost a finger or had to wear an eye patch or whatever because of a work injury. There was no OSHA back then. Any factory just got the job done and didn't care about safety equipment. And so the, the, the worthwhile goal of technology advancement is to get away from safety hazards and make things more safe to operate and more efficient so that they can bring down a lower cost per unit when you're manufacturing widgets. So I think that's a rightful goal. And getting away from dangerous work to go toward a desk job and let the computer or the robot absorb the hazards. I think that's a noble goal. Well, the Uh, thing is, it
1: takes away people's jobs, though. I mean, when you think about the automation of every aspect of your life, you're letting a a computer do it, and that's taking someone's job away. Like, I don't even go to the self-serve, you know, checkout counters. I've never done it won't do it i want to see the cashier i want to have a human being do it yeah and it's because i mean it isn't that you couldn't learn how to do it it's like when you learn how to pump your own gas you know i resisted that for a long time because i was honestly i felt like i didn't need to be pumping gas you get it on yourself you know you're dressed to go to work and you got to touch a gas pump and get gas smell all over you or whatever i hated it and i didn't want to learn how to do it and I thought it was ridiculous that they made it so that you had to do it. Like, what kind of you know, what kind of ridiculous stuff is that? It made me really mad. And it wasn't that it was beneath me. That wasn't it. It was the fact that it's a dirty job and it's a dangerous job. There are right. some people it, that are stupid and they shouldn't be pumping gas. And, and I was like, why are they doing this? But I finally had to learn how to do it because it was either that or not go anywhere in my car because I didn't have someone else pump gas for me. And, you know, I resisted it for a long time. I was lucky enough to have a gas station around the corner that had somebody who came out and pumped gas, and I would just go to that one and let them do it in the morning, going to work. But, I mean, it just, you know, having the public do all their own stuff and it takes people's jobs away. And even, I mean, like surgeries and things that are done by computer now, I don't know. I just don't think it's a good direction. I feel like we should have stayed with the simpler things. It wasn't that hard. Some things are better and some aren't. And I don't think people have that moral compass to tell them which things they should resist and which things they should embrace. They don't have it. They just think, oh, it's new. We should do it. Brand new. This is great. We have drones now. Deliver your stuff right straight from Amazon, right to your front door, a drone. I told my nephew the other day, I said, don't you ever let me see one of those things around me? Because I think he bought one. I said, I don't want to ever see it. He goes, well, they're cool. You can take pictures. You know, you can take up. Yeah, right. How about we have 5,000 people do it? <coughs> I don't think it's cool. Yeah. <coughs> and I don't want to see them.
4: Well, they're starting to show up in, in flight paths of uh, an LAX uh, yeah. pilot inbound. They're dangerous. One, uh. <coughs>
1: They're dangerous, and I'm sorry, but not everybody has brains enough to stay away from places they shouldn't be with them either. So yeah. why don't we just bring some more, you know, uncertainty and chaos into our life? We already have enough of it. Uh, <coughs> but I
4: I agree. Uh, speaking I as a, that. a as, an, as a past <laughs> professional photographer, I see the merits of the thing in some applications. But you're right, FAA flight paths have greater yeah. importance than uh than some being someone being able to take a picture. Public uh, safety
1: that's somebody's responsibility.
4: In in my but day when I wanted an aerial picture, I hired an airplane and a pilot who filed the appropriate flight path notification to FAA to let everybody know that we were up there in a Piper Cub taking pictures.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh so that I remember that I did that for my high school uh uh yearbook is I wanted a, an aerial picture of of the high school building and so I went to a local airport and hired a pilot in the in his plane uh just so I could take some pictures but uh you're right now with the cost coming down so so reasonable now. Anybody and their brother can be flying a drone and those things can get up to a 1,000 feet or so and, and get up into air traffic. And that's dangerous. Yeah. Um, so here we go. Make one aspect of an advancement and then there's always some kind of an abuse that, uh, that steps in and causes problems for everybody. Uh, and then when government gets into it, And then we have an idiot president who loves to assassinate people with them anywhere on anybody in any country, anywhere on the planet. uh, He thinks he can even assassinate American citizens just because he wants to. That's above and beyond. That's over the top wrong. Or over the bottom wrong, whatever term you want to use here. Uh, so no. Here we go with with my uh my pacifist stance of of drones and landmines are the two most immoral weapons ever invented. Because they kill innocent people. They don't uh they don't target anybody who's a real enemy and a real uh well, enemy combatant if you want to use that term. I don't
1: know. I don't know how you can um, you know, get the morality back into things that probably never had them to begin with. We just thought they did. We were reflecting our own values onto the structures thinking they were there. You know, that the same you know, the same people were there. But they weren't. That it's a very cold, um, counterproductive system that we live in. It's counterproductive because there would be way more productivity and actually, um Success and prosperity and everything. If it wasn't done the way they do it, they think they're do- they think they're getting something of value out of uh, micromanaging every aspect. If you ask any of these people that are involved in this stuff, this planning stuff and everything, they think they're doing the right thing. They're absolutely on board with it, and I don't know how you convince them otherwise. You know, you're you're. Counting the seconds on a clock, right, milliseconds of productivity while you're wasting like hours or days. It doesn't make any sense to me. Everything's that bottom line. And the the money's not even real. So it's just we're living in a complete um, scenario here of unreality. That's my opinion of it. And so I try to spend a lot of time out of that during the day. I try not to think about it too much. Just continue on with what I know I should be doing
2: and hope it works out. This is school vacation week in Maine, by the
1: way, so a lot of people are away right now. Next week it'll be geared right up again
4: vacation. The
1: system will start rolling over people again with its its, uh, normal pace.
4: Isn't spring break already, is it?
1: Well, for Maine, uh, schools get out in February, and then they get out in April. They have two separate weeks for school vacation. They have it during the week of President's Day, and they have it the week of Patriot's Day which isn't celebrated everywhere in the United States, but it's um, usually, I think, it's the third week of April, so that one of the holidays falls within that week.
4: See, we had President's (coughs) Day on Monday. Huh? We had President's Day on Monday. Yeah. This week.
1: See, that would have normally been a day off from school, but it falls during the vacation, so they don't lose that.
4: Oh, my calendar says okay. this is Chinese New Year's today. So, really, H- happy New Year, I guess. <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs> I knew it was sometime around now. But I just didn't know exactly which day.
2: <clears throat>
1: so, I I don't really don't have anything else. If you I don't know if you do or not, but
4: uh, or if
1: anybody in here wants it. to,
4: yeah, I I don't have. I don't have any of the list this this week, but because uh, I've been dealing with my own crises, like I say, I I gotta move a dollar here to a dollar there to try to make my company look good next week. So that's that's the crisis on my mind. So so come back next week and find out if I if I still have a business or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like the uh, it's like the sequel in a soap opera.
4: Yeah, well that's what it amounts to. We'll uh,
1: yeah tune in next week to hear the outcome of this scenario, right?
4: Will Changer uh, still have rental properties, and will uh, Desert Pete still have uh, have any kind of a company or not? Uh,
1: yeah. Well, my... It should be my, determined next week. One of the brainstorms I had, which I don't know if I brought it up here before or not, but I was thinking this could work, was, but what about, you know, like, we moved over to the lower apartment, and... Put a pellet stove in. Right now we have pellet shortages in Maine, too, because a lot of people were heating with pellets, and they can't find them anywhere. They're like, every day they go out on a search for pellets, for their pellet stoves. But anyway, hopefully that'll ease off, too, because our temperatures have started to climb again a little bit. We were in the 20s today instead of the minus 20, so mm-hmm. it was a lot better. People are running around in sweaters now. It feels like, you know, it feels like spring almost. Well, <clears throat> so I was thinking if we heated the bottom apartment, we could renovate the upstairs where we had some damage and rent it, and then we'd have some income coming. But then we have to just keep the house warm too, but we wouldn't have to keep it as warm as if we were here. I don't know. I'm kind of just split on what what should happen next, honestly. Once you get to that point, I'm, I'm sure you understand exactly what I'm saying you get to that point where it's just like, okay, I'm just tired of thinking about it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> tired of uh,
1: even trying to think about it because when you struggle every day, you say, you know, what, what is the point of this? Why am I doing this?
4: The, these crazy plates don't want to stay balanced on the stick. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, you're constantly going back and, and having to fine-tune it. Uh, you just can't get the right, right rhythm here. And yeah, that's... That's the trials of of business in this era. Uh, well, until uh, until God calls us home, that's what we got to keep doing to to keep food coming here. Yeah, thinking back of those expats over in in a foreign country, they had to have yeah. gone down there with a lot of money because even in another country, you're still going to have the expense of food, food yeah. and housing. That's
3: right. Yeah.
4: And even if you were able to afford uh, a piece of property on the beach that already had a house on it, it's still going to require some kind of utility, and you're still going to have to feed yourself. And what are they doing for an income down there? And to say that they went to a foreign country and ended up doing nothing there, well, now I'm afraid you're still dependent on your your investments you made back here in America. And if you're not monitoring those, that can change on you real quick. And suddenly that that whiz-bang gizmo that was paying you such a nice dividend is now a new buggy whip. and It is becoming obsolete because uh, Apple decided to make something different this time.
1: Or they stopped making buggies.
4: Yeah.
1: So the buggy whip is now just a wall decoration. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm seeing some of that, too, because when my husband was still alive, one of the things that we used to like to do was go to auctions to buy antiques and stuff and old things. We just liked them, you know, liked a lot of old things. Well, the value went right out of all that stuff because the next generation doesn't want any of it. They want uh, knockdown stuff from Ikea. That's what they want. So, you know, all that, all that that could have been saved rather than spent on things that nobody wants now is kind of difficult. I think that the strategy at this point is downsize and downsize and downsize until you just have basically what you need to live, and that's it
4: well i've we my my business partner and I have gone about as low as we can go here
1: uh got two plates in the cupboard and a quart of milk, and that's it right yeah,
4: you know, well, and it's yeah, once it's you get to this level that things start breaking, like our water line busting right. two times here in the last uh last month, and then, uh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, since I talked to you last week. Uh, I was going
1: to say, I didn't my, think I heard about that one. My
4: my old uh, uh, my Maytag refrigerator that I bought brand new in 1996 hasn't needed any servicing until now. When I'm down at the lowest end of the economic spectrum, the thing starts making such a loud noise, you couldn't hear yourself talk in a a conversation in the kitchen. So uh, I figured, well, a house call way out here in the desert like that is going to cost me 200 bucks for the guy to show up, and then probably another 100 or 200 in parts. So I just gritted my teeth and started taking the thing apart and found, once I lifted this cover off the back of the freezer, I discovered that the whole back section was was solid ice, ice or snow. So I thawed the thing out and realized that the uh, the wire connecting to a heater element that ran the automatic defroster, the wire had burned off, and so it was yeah. no longer defrosting. Okay, well, three hours of defrosting. Yeah, you're you're battling major snow back there, so I, uh, I had to defrost my refrigerator so my fingers got numb. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, not, not that I need much sympathy from you, but uh, I was battling with some snow problems of my own out here. It was all on the back of the back of the freezer. Uh well I yeah, think a looked lot up... of
1: people don't realize that snow is an insulator, so it's like it's warm in there. If you have a heat source, it stays warm at snow is an insulator. It's not always cold.
4: Well that was another problem I had was uh, the design of this refrigerator kind of circulates air from the freezer section down into the refrigerator but it wasn't circulating stuff down to the freezer because the vent had frozen up with solid ice and snow. Uh, So, shucks, I had to throw out two uh, two quarts of half and half lately and I can't afford to do that. Yeah. Uh, th- that's an awful feeling when when you, you brew the cup of coffee you can at least afford, and then you go to pour the yeah. cream in, and you suddenly see cottage cheese floating on the top of your coffee cup. Whoops.
1: Yeah, that's not good.
4: That is not good. That's not what I expected in the morning. No. Uh, and it's because the bottom section of the refrigerator was not staying as cold as it was supposed to. Why? Because the top end was just completely frozen over. Well, so, anyway, online search for trying to match up the parts. It looks like it needs about $150 of the parts, which at least two of them, it looks like I could do myself. So at least I save the expense of a house call out here.
1: Yeah, you get one in those little uh, dorm refrigerators and stick it there. Oh. Uh, yeah, everybody. Somebody's saying we love our coffee, guest number twelve. Yeah, we all love our coffee. We're like into our coffee.
4: Well, yeah, <laughs> but but. And I, I gotta, put half
1: and half in mine too, so I'm all for the half and half.
4: I gotta have half and half in my coffee, or I can't drink it. Uh, I've got friends yeah. that drink it black, and I cannot yeah. stand that. That's yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, really.
4: Oh. Uh, that, that that's as gross as steak tartare to me. Uh, <laughs> no, you got to cook the steak for me to enjoy it. But uh, uh, uh Speaking of coffee, just thought crossed my mind. What's the strongest coffee you've ever tasted?
1: Strongest.
4: Strongest. I've been told Turkish coffee is about the, the strongest in the world. Have you met anything or had anything that is is block, I'm blacker? I'm not a or coffee blacker.
1: connoisseur, so to speak. I mean, oh, okay. I've had different kinds, and I like dark roast. I like, a, I like a good, bold coffee. But as far as knowing where it's grown or all that stuff, I don't get into all that. We have a nice coffee place in Bangor called Coffee Express. And it's owned uh privately owned. I know the person that owns it. I haven't been over there in a while. I feel kind of bad, but it cost me like almost three dollars to get it to get a large one
3: uh-huh.
1: and she has different different types of um roasts as far as you know the different kinds, whether they're medium or they're dark roast or light roasted or whatever and i I love that coffee some they were some of them that were They must have been distributed in Maine because, certainly, we're not growing coffee here. But there was a company located nearby that was distributing some of them that I really liked. And um, there's one that they have over there that people like called Yankee Doodle, and it's got flavors and stuff in it, but I usually don't like flavors in my coffee either.
4: Yeah, because I've never tasted Turkish coffee. It might be the strongest but I I nominate Lithuanian coffee as a close runner up.
1: I uh, like strong flavors. I like bitter, bitter flavors.
4: Well, a lot I, of people I, don't I, like
1: bitter. I like bitter. I'll drink uh, tea and actually squeeze the tea bag in it, leave it in there, you know, until the bitter end.
4: I uh, I like milder coffee myself. Uh, uh, Hawaiian is like is nice and flavorful yet uh, and not not strong but man Lithuanian coffee uh it's not so much the type of the bean that's the issue it's the way they make it over there they they grind the bean and then just throw the whole grounds into your cup of hot of boiling water so the longer it sits there the stronger it gets and now you have all these grounds at the bottom of the cup so once you get down to the bottom of the cup, <laughs> you're now drinking yeah. high fiber coffee. <laughs> it?
1: Somebody put in here Sumatra Dark.
4: Uh, some okay. Uh, as far as Starbucks, uh, that's fairly mild. Uh, very good. I, I I remember the the name there. I don't. Uh,
1: I haven't been to Starbucks in a long time either.
4: Uh-huh. Uh Somebody was saying they voted wrong, and oh, GMOs—they were against GMO labeling. I'm thinking, uh oh, you're going to lose a lot of clients with that attitude.
1: I try to stay away from anything cor- too corporate, anyway. So when I see everybody running around with Starbucks, I run the other direction immediately. Yeah. So it's just my contrary nature these days.
4: Well, <clears throat> the one time that I patronized them heavily was when I had a, a commute issue and I had to drive uh, 130 miles each way to work five days a week. Uh, and on the way home, I had to have something to keep me awake. And the, uh the chocolate frappuccino, whatever they call it, did that. Uh, you drink one of those and you're awake. You're solid awake for the next four hours. <laughs> and, uh, and perfectly safe yeah, for we
1: used time. to joke. We used to joke about Folgers because we said, you know, where it said it was mountain grown, we'd go, it's mountain grown, you know, laying in bed in the middle of the night staring at the ceiling. Oh, God, it was the Folgers, you know. Because that Uh, stuff would keep you awake all night. That was a very strong coffee. I didn't buy it too long because of that. I just was like, I can't be this wired in the middle of the night. I have to be, you know, I have to work. Yeah. So,
4: yeah. Uh, There was another brand that I I fell in love with the first time I tried it, but then I found out that whoever the buyer is keeps shopping around for the best price, and he ends up with coffee beans from different parts of the world all the time. And that was uh, Chase and Sanborn. So uh, if you lucked out size and size. got a good month, it tasted fantastic. And then next month, yeah. it was battery acid because they yeah. just chose a different kind of bean. <laughs> they weren't consistent yeah. in their flavor.
2: Uh, I
1: just mostly buy Maxwell House coffee nowadays.
4: Uh, I like uh, Don Francisco's Hawaiian Hawaiian blend. It's, my favorite
1: we are, you know in maine there's a lot of coffee drinkers i don't know if it's because of the french people or what but there's a there's just a lot of coffee drinkers and and they all talk about how when they go down to florida and they're traveling down the east coast as they get further and further away from new england there's less and less coffee and they're like this isn't right where's the dunkin donuts you know that kind of thing yeah. because people don't drink coffee as much as we well, do we drink it all day long.
4: The cold. We drink wo- it
1: until bedtime.
4: The cold weather has to be part of that. Uh, we drink
1: it in the summer when it's hot. We drink it.
4: The highest coffee consumption per capita, per capita, is in Sweden. So it's, it's oh well, nor- we've got
1: a lot of Swedes here too.
4: It's the the northern climates that uh, that just need to have a hot beverage all day. Uh, here's the main thing.
1: Well, it's certainly not just to keep warm because we drink it all year round all day long. So it's like well, when they say, you know, three yeah. or four cups of coffee a day, we're thinking, are you kidding me? I have it intravenously. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. I know. It's, it's, how many, it's not how many cups. It's how many pots. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> a exactly. Yeah. A pot or two in the morning and another one in the afternoon. So.
1: Yeah, really, it's not good for the stomach either. Because if you have stress and you're drinking a lot of coffee, you notice it. Because it'll get your stomach.
4: Well, when I worked in Hollywood, yeah, I was drinking coffee all day. I've uh, I've backed off to two or three cups a day. Out here on my on my own schedule now, but
1: uh, yeah. Uh, we always yeah. had it going at our house growing up. So, and we weren't allowed to drink it either because they were concerned about it. Stunting your growth. I don't know if you remember that, but it was like um, <laughs> you give caffeine to children and they're not going to grow as fast. That's what they always said. I don't know if it's true or not, but my parents believed it. We didn't have coffee until we were well into our teens.
4: I was not a coffee drinker until I moved out of my own. And yeah. now you gotta be awake on the job, and you gotta have a job to pay your rent. <laughs> the, yeah, the you reality of life hit system. me and uh i I better make make the meet the schedule of uh that my employer expects uh no no showing up late every day
1: yeah i never i never felt real wired by coffee even even at night. I just was used to it i guess but um. Same thing with commuting. Always had to have coffee in the commute, mm-hmm. <laughs> keep you awake on the way home. Right. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, that that crazy month that I had to do that that outrageous commute I just mentioned. Uh, yeah, it was the it was the final trip home at the end of the day. That that was the challenge, Cause that that could yep. get after a whole day at work. Uh, you really had to get a second wind going here to uh to handle that many miles again. And then collapse as soon as you get home. Uh okay. Well that's all uh, my West Coast uh chat for, for this week. And uh Oh, other than uh this uh port closing here in the west, uh shucks I meant to look it up today so I don't know the answer to the question. Don't we have a long Sherman strike in progress?
1: I thought I heard that. I thought I saw somewhere where there were all these ships lined up.
4: Yeah, well, the ships are lining up. Was it Northern up,
1: California? Northern, well, I think, Northern California.
4: On rumor mill news, they're claiming that, oh, Obama is shutting down all uh, all ports on the West Coast. And I'm thinking, well, it's just a typical long Sherman strike. This happens every time there's a new contract up for renewal. Why is Maybe everybody... we're not being
1: told what's really going on.
4: Oh. Uh, Maybe it
1: is something else.
4: I don't know i I'm gonna to have to look the, look it up. I used to uh follow long rather closely um, but i I haven't lately, so I don't know if this is uh a uh, new contract time or what but uh no there was a short video on rumor mill yesterday of some some p h d in Tacoma was out on his boat just uh, panning his camera around at all the uh, the ships that are lined up. And he was rambling off on, on how awful this was. He says, these, these ships can't unload, and so nobody's working, and there's not money flowing into the economy because these ships are stuck here, and it's all Obama's fault. And well, it, uh, I'll be the first to blame Obama on everything he does wrong, but uh, if it's just another contract dispute, you can't really blame that on any politician. That that kind of thing just happens. Uh, so uh, anyway, I was just curious if you knew anything more about, about the alleged foreclosures or not, or if you were no, seeing I anything t- like that on the East Coast.
1: I wouldn't know. It's not something I would notice. I think it's because I saw it somewhere, probably the same, you know, I didn't look at it, but I saw a picture of the, all the ships. Uh-huh. And I heard something about it, and I don't even remember where. Um, Guest twelve is saying it's a backup at 24 ports. That sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And Jameskin is saying that they're they're owned by China. The ports are owned by China. Um, I don't. I just. It's not something I really look into that much. But I guess it's something else to look into. Like I put in the chat, I said, "It never ends." There's always something else to look into. But I'm sure if we start seeing shortages in the stores of things we normally buy, it's coming from the fact that that stuff is sitting there not being unloaded. And I don't know how much of it's perishable either.
4: Yeah. Well, if it's a, a contract issue, then I'd just say sit it out uh, and wait for things to get settled, and, and they'll be back to work, and you'll start seeing Chinese junk on Walmart shelves again. Uh, I personally, I have a lot of respect for the longshoreman union. It's about the only union I know of that's left where everybody in the union can afford to support its family. The starting wage, longshoreman wages, is enough for a married man to keep his wife and kids fed. Yeah. you look at anything else and oh we'll start you at 9 an hour and uh you might work up to a, another dollar raise uh, a year from now or something stupid like that you're not going to support a family or buy a home or maintain a car for 9 bucks an hour not in the 2015 economy anywhere no, in see, the country I don't
1: understand I don't understand why these people don't realize that if they destroy everything that they're destroying their own stuff they don't see it that way, and I don't well, know why they don't get that It's a disconnect.
4: That's because it. Because you
1: can't just have your beautiful house in the cul-de-sac with no economy operating. It's not going to happen that way. Where do they think they're getting their money from to be able to support their own lifestyle?
4: Industries only to- boom when they can sell their widgets, and they have to have a wealthy uh, populace to be able to buy their widgets. So when yeah, they, money is flowing freely, I mean, flowing, I watch really,
1: the ads and laugh because I, I see how foolish it is. They're advertising to people who could never buy it. That's it. Yeah.
4: That's it entirely. Oh, uh, and so fine. the The latest Rolls Royce now is what four hundred thousand uh, dollars. I thought it was outrageous back in 1980 when a new Rolls hit the hundred thousand mark. Well, now they're half a million for a car, and we see exotic sports cars are well over a million, with the McLaren and such. Uh, no common punch a clock job is going to pay for anything like that. Um, yeah, the, the the CEO mentality is is atrocious, and that's what colleges have been turning out uh, for the last twenty years is get the job done as cheap as possible. And we look at at Silicon Valley. With all the money that they do reap in from selling Apple iPhones and and whatnot, uh, those cheapskates aren't even hiring American engineers. They're bringing in H-1Bs from uh, India. Uh, That was a headline lately. Uh, Southern California Edison was laying off their own American engineers and bringing in H-1Bs from India to do the same job for considerably less. Uh, that's the get-the-job-done-as-cheap-as-possible mentality that is destroying America's economy. Um, the the thought of having a healthy company to come back to for servicing uh, is... F- so, something they just don't think about anymore or or well, having you know, happy that employees. One of the
1: reasons, well, one of the reasons I think that people should go back to the smaller communities and build those, make the smaller economy, basically, is that it's stronger. They never should have broken it apart to begin with. It was done so that they would make a lot of money really fast, but yeah. it's stronger because if you have trouble in one town, you can go to another town. But if you have trouble in your entire state, you have to leave your state. I mean, there isn't it, you can't put all your eggs in one basket ever. You need to diversify. That's how I see it. And so I think we'd be better off living in smaller towns where we have more control over what our life is. And yeah. also we can keep everybody going because we're buying from them. So keep our circle closed like they do. They don't buy from people outside their circle they only profit their own friends. They don't profit anyone else. That's how they do it. I mean, we watched it here in these business associations where they'd get together and you know, once or twice a month and, and uh promote each other's businesses and they only buy from each other. And that's how they build themselves up and get their you know, get everything going good for themselves is they only have like one guy who's doing plumbing and one guy who does this and they I forget what they call them. They're like business associations. or um, I used to know the names of them. They had different names. But they wouldn't take two. There would be no competition in that group. And they bought from each other. And that's how they would keep their money right close, you know. I think that's what the town should do. They should go back to that. Only... Obviously, they've had some competition, but what I'm saying is a smaller group of people, a local economy.
4: Yeah, well, it just proves that all these experts in Washington are nothing more than political hacks that do what they're told and not, uh, not what's really best for everybody. Yeah. Uh, I hate to bring up a high-stress thing I had to endure on Facebook this last week. Man, some of these... Uh, Facebook comments really get out of hand.
3: Um, yeah.
4: I, uh, always one of my liberal friends, and believe it or not, I do have a few, uh, is just insanely loyal to vaccines, and was coming down on anybody who who, uh, who refuses vaccines for their kids, is not a worthy parent, and all this other baloney. Yeah.
3: Uh,
4: and I was Simply stressing that they don't all work. Uh, and so anyway, I pu- I found a picture of uh, Mickey Mouse with measles dots all over his face, and the caption to it was uh, "Thanks for the open immigration, Obama." Yeah. And so I put that up on my on my Facebook page. Oh man, this other person tried to rip me to shreds on that. And all of her her liberal friends saw the same comment and and started ripping into me. And one had the audacity to ask me, who let you in?
1: Yeah. Uh, We've all heard this stuff before. We've all had this stuff happen.
4: So I said, (laughs) well, excuse me. I'm a uh, third-generation native here, born here. And then this party launched into, uh, uh, oh, you ought to be thankful that uh, somebody lets your your great grandparents in and whatever. And well, yeah, but they came here legally.
1: Yeah, they followed the rules. That's how they came.
4: That's it. And and this party was commenting about how to how she, she lived in. Uh, Oh, summers in England and, and winters in France or something. And But that that she was a, a Boston native and, oh, her family traced back to the Mayflower or something.
1: Yeah, mine does too.
4: Okay. So I, responded I think mine by was st- second
1: boat, though. So second boat's not as good as the first boat. Mine was the second boat, I believe. But, yeah, a yeah, lot of New so, Englanders have made So I
4: I responded to her by saying, well, excuse me, but the other half of my family tree happens to be British and French. If you want to tell me to go back where I came from, do you really want me as your neighbor when you're staying in London and Paris? I said, I would rather live with my black and Mexican conservative neighbors out here than to have a Boston bigot like you next door to me.
3: Oh, God.
4: Um, anyway, some of this liberal crap, and in the context of, of this particular argument that was going on, people that are obscenely loyal to vaccines and paying no attention. T- to show you how, how stupid this argument was, the person that, that started the post that was attacking anybody who re- who refused to vaccinate their kids admitted in their own opening paragraph that they had been vaccinated for measles, but when they had to do a European trip themselves, they caught it after they had been vaccinated. And I'm thinking, you just destroyed your own argument. What are you doing telling everybody else to get vaccines when you just proved it yourself they don't all work? Well,
1: they... The ideas that people have that they get stuck on and they can't get off are. I always, I, I used to always figure I had to, you know, jump them out of it or whatever, try to show them that they were thinking that way. And then I decided, you know, I was wearing myself out because people are pretty entrenched in what they believe. But we had, um, um, I, not actually we, but I had um, a relative who posted something this morning about a lesbian couple who had a six-day-old baby that wasn't getting seen by a pediatrician because the pediatrician did not agree with these two women having this baby, right?
2: Yeah.
4: Whoops. Did uh, Talkshu just turn you off at 7.30? Okay, well, filling in uh, until uh, Ginger gets uh, <laughs> gets her connection back on, uh, and of course she leaves me hanging on a topic I hate talking about about uh, about les- lesbian adoptions. But I think the the context was was how a doctor was treating the health of a child, so uh, that's where I'd have to contact have to agree with her. Uh, yeah, doctors need to be able to treat everybody and whatnot. And the uh, the tangent I was going on was, uh, immigrants are great, but let's do it legally. And, uh, okay, Ginger's got half a connection here. As soon as she gets back on, I'll, I'll finish my sentence. Uh, are you back yet? Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, okay. The, the, finishing my point, other than my my own uh, takedown of that Boston bigot, was that uh, I'm not against immigration. I said, anybody who knows me personally knows that a few years ago, I waited through nine months of immigration paperwork to help a foreigner come into this country. That particular foreigner had earned a master's degree in her, in her own country, but there was no market for her skills in that poor country, but there was plenty of market for it in this country. Uh, so I helped that individual come through, and I had to wade through nine months of paperwork to get that party here. So I said, if I had to go through the paperwork, why shouldn't everybody else? Uh, So, believe it or not, I actually, a few people posted apologies back to me. They they thought I was against all immigrants. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not that big of an idiot. I just want everybody to do it legally.
1: Yeah. Uh, I know someone right now that's um, trying to get their husband legally admitted um, from Italy. And you know when they look at all this stuff going on, they don't think it's right either because they're going through all the roadblocks that they make, you know, for people to come. Yeah. And they're doing it so that it'll be, you know, the right way. Yeah. And they don't they don't understand it. Neither do I. I don't get why they just you know make uh, blanket excuses for people. It drives me nuts. But yeah. Oh.
4: You know, but. Uh, this, this was a real long Facebook argument, and the the other direction they were tried to to deviate it was that well, but you're you're still against vaccines, and i no, I'm against vaccines that don't work, and oh well then then why aren't you uh insisting that all immigrants be be vaccinated and I'd say what the my original post of the Mickey Mouse with measles pictures, yeah. was a complaint against Obama checking for nothing. I'm not complaining. I'm not saying that immigrants have to be vaccinated because I don't want to push something that doesn't work on them either. But I am saying at least check and see if somebody is already (laughs) contaminated with measles. And if so, tell them to sit it out in their own country And after you've developed your own personal immunity, like most of us adults have here in America, then come on in. But uh, quit shipping people in who are contaminated as it is. Uh, Sit it out. Shucks, you and I are the same age. We we all had measles as kids. and They didn't uh, have
1: vaccine when we were kids.
4: Uh, right. They might have
1: had it later on, but they didn't have it when we were little kids. I got it because there was no vaccine. Otherwise, my parents would have given me the vaccines because we went to the doctors and had vaccines then.
4: Uh-huh. They were
1: worried about polio. They were worried about um, Yeah. what was the other one they did. Um, there weren't a whole lot of vaccines yet. A well, lot of them were developed later.
4: Smallpox was the other one. Uh, the smallpox vaccination was one that actually left a scar on your arm.
1: Yeah, I said I had the wrong thing the other night when we were talking about it. I think I was talking about the um, testing for some. Um, it might have been TB or something. They used to test to see if you had it.
4: Oh, uh, uh, that yeah, that's another test.
1: And you know, they stopped doing that. That was a test that we had working in schools. We had to have a TB test done every so often to make sure we weren't carrying it. And I don't think you know. they do that anymore either, and they should because it's still around. But this stuff that they're doing now is just, like, you know, ridiculous. It's, it's you know, they're bringing the disease and then telling you you need a vaccine for it. They're making money on both ends of the equation, and I'm suspicious of it because they changed how they did things, and I, I just got suspicious of all of it now. I don't trust them anymore. I took I took shots. Like I said, I took that hepatitis B series. I took three shots for that. And just because I figured, you know, working in schools, you have a risk of coming in contact with kids' bodily fluids. They could be bleeding or something. You're not gonna You're not gonna just not help that kid. I mean, they're uh, like your children when you work in a school. These kids are your kids. You're not gonna leave them there to bleed. You're gonna help them. And I figured it was a good idea to have something like that so i took them and i was so sick you know it was just i was just so sick from them and i knew that something was wrong and i mentioned it when i got the shots you know i was sick the last time and i was sick you know i was sick every single time and they were like well most people don't react to these shots well i'm not most people i guess because i got very sick after having them
4: oh Oh. Uh,
1: for a day or two i mean it didn't last but it wasn't like It's just a shot, and you're going to, you know, after your arm feels better, you'll be all right. I was sick. And I don't know, you know, to me, you're throwing that off when you're walking around with it. They say it's not true, but I believe it's true that you're throwing that off wherever you go.
4: Hepatitis B is a, uh, wow, wow. That that's a controversial one. Uh, thanks for mentioning that because uh, I also had uh, uh, got uh, a Hep B uh, vaccination uh, myself back in the mid 90s when I was.
1: Uh, it was a three. It was a series yeah. of three shots.
4: Well, and it was and, expensive too.
1: Yeah, very. But the school paid for it because they okay. were they were having you know school personnel basically because you were exposed to this stuff. It was around the time they were talking about HIV all the time. Bloodborne pathogens. Every year we'd go back to school and we'd have to sit through, like it seemed like a whole day of them telling about bloodborne pathogens. And we'd be like, do we have to do this again this year? Yes, we have to do it every year. It's blah, 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 blah. And we're like, we already did it last year. We know already. Do we have to sit here and listen to this again? Well, yes, we do. We have to do it. So, eventually we finally got it so they would let us just take a test, you know, like check off the answers that we knew this already. And um, it was very tedious, all of that stuff. And it was, you know, everybody was so worried about it. And the thing about hepatitis B was that it could live on surfaces for a while. So it could live on dried blood or, you know, you might touch it or carry it around and not know. And So that was the reason a lot of us did it.
4: This is amazing to learn. It it looks like both you and I dodged a bullet uh, with that vaccine. I got mine in the mid-90s. Is that about the same time you got yours?
1: Probably. I I remember it. um, Yeah, I think it was. I think it was in the 90s. Well, then
4: both of us got one of the few safe ones that went out there because... Horowitz the uh the doctor that did the research in AIDS yeah. identified that it was two batches that were intentionally contaminated, and one went to New York City, primarily into the homosexual community, another batch went to Southern Africa, and those were the two first. Major outbreaks of AIDS, and it came from that vaccine that was intentionally contaminated.
1: Talking about hepatitis B vaccine.
4: Hepatitis B vaccine is what released right. the the first two AIDS uh, outbreaks on, on the planet. Wonderful. Uh, so yeah, you and I dodged a bullet on that one. Uh, well, got, I, one of my gracious. things
1: that I was thinking about today too because. Of um, I'm trying to remember what I was thinking about. It was some issue and I was, I remembered that one of my tenants that I had went to the Supreme Court of the United States based on her um, HIV positive status. Um, and it was covered on the national news and everything. So we had our 15 minutes of fame here in Bangor because of it. She was living in my apartment. She was not known to be HIV positive. It was during the time period when everybody was afraid to even be in the vicinity of a person that had HIV. This was when, you know, people were actually thinking that you could get it from just being there, like it, that it was highly contagious till they started to say no, it's not highly contagious. You have to have contact, direct contact with bodily fluids. So, <clears throat> she was she was kept anonymous for a while. I didn't know she had it. Um, and she was like keeping her name out of all the court cases. So we were hearing about this story. We were hearing this case being going through the courts and how it was going up to the Supreme Court and everything. And then one day I was on my way to work. I was driving to work and I had the radio on in the car and I heard them mention who the person was. They finally gave a name and I just about went off the road. I called my husband, and I said, did you hear the radio today? And he said, no, what's going on? And I said, you know that case with the um, person who couldn't be treated in the dentist's office because he wouldn't treat her? Um, he wanted hospital conditions? And he says, yeah. And I said, well, they gave the name of that person, and she's our tenant. And he was shocked. The same with me. That night on the local news, there she was sitting in our building, in her apartment, being interviewed by national news media. I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Because I figured everybody else would leave. They'd all move, but they didn't. We'd had somebody who moved previous to that, and we wondered why, because they'd been there for a year or two, and they were happy. They said they liked it, and they'd moved out, saying that they were not happy with the parking. And we thought, well, nothing's changed. It's the same as when you moved in. Nothing's changed. Well, it was a cover story. Those women that lived downstairs in the building worked for the dentist that had refused to treat this woman. They both were living in my building. And they couldn't say anything because of patient confidentiality. So they couldn't say, we don't want to live here because she's upstairs and there's a case going on because she was anonymous at that point. So we find out this later. So I'm thinking, you know what? This is is like how the news or the laws or whatever actually end up harming other people that are in the vicinity of it. Because it certainly did, because we lost rent, right, because the people left. And then when she, you know, moved, she actually moved from there to another place we had to get her away from whatever the situation was she was going through at the time. I don't even remember. So she lived in another place we had. And I had other events related to that same person, but it was eye-opening <laughs> that something like that would happen, wow. and we would have no idea at all. Because, for one thing, if we did know, I don't think we could have said she couldn't live there either, because they had discrimination things going on at the same time with that particular oh, yeah. deal. But, and I can't remember honestly now whatever happened with the case. I can't remember now whether or not they made dentists have to treat people in offices. I think they did. I think they changed it so that they could be treated in a dentist office. But the dentist that had refused said that he couldn't be sure that he wouldn't transmit this, this um, HIV to other patients that were coming in. He didn't want to have to deal with somebody who had HIV, not not necessarily not treat her, but that he felt he should be able to take the precautions of a hospital where he could have more control over the conditions. So that case was that was something that I had a little knowledge about. It's bizarre.
4: Well, yeah, curious. what are the odds that you would be so so closely involved with the...
1: I'm telling you, it's like situation. every single... Thing, I can relate it to something and I don't know if it's because I've just done a lot in my life or my family did or something but uh, you know people don't even have the time they think well you're making this stuff up no I'm not you can go look her up she was from Bangor and that case was in the 90s I believe when that happened because I remember I was commuting to work so it would have awesome. been between 1991 and Uh, 2003, so, you know, eight-year period. It was somewhere in there. I think it was probably the mid-'90s.
4: Back in my city days.
1: Huh?
4: Those were back in my city days. I'm thinking back in the 90s and such. I mean, do you
1: remember hearing about that case? when HIV yes. was in the news every day about oh, yeah. somebody that, that, who wouldn't that, be treated at the dentist?
4: That, that was many one of many uh, HIV stories that was just uh, saturating the news back in those days.
1: I remember being really upset because I thought, how dare somebody go and take the national media in, onto my property to interview somebody about something like this? Because all I could think of is now that the other tenants know they're going to want to leave. They're not going to want to live there. But they didn't. They didn't. Yeah. Uh, they didn't say anything about it. They didn't pitch a fit about it or anything. And I know that it, it was a few years before they started saying, "No, you can't really catch it that easily. They'd have to be living in her house and intimate to be able to get it."
4: Yeah. Well, that that was so. the early days as we were all learning about it, and speculation was just running wild. Uh, but getting back to hepatitis B. The only reason I voluntarily asked to take it was that I was preparing for my first trip out of the country, and the place I was going was Lithuania, which was in only years, only a few years earlier was behind the Iron Curtain, the part that we Americans never heard anything about. If it was behind the Iron Curtain, we didn't know how Russians lived or how Lithuanians lived or anybody in, in the, the USSR. And I was going to visit somebody that I'd been writing to for some time. So I only knew about them from their letters. I knew nothing about the the family I was about to visit. And I had no idea what conditions I would be living under during my my brief one-week visit over there. And so I went to a a specialist. And well, we didn't have the internet at that time. But I consulted uh, CDC literature for uh, recommended travel vaccines uh, in uh, in that part of the world and hepatitis B vaccine was one of the recommended vaccines at that time. Uh, you're right, it does require blood contact or, or intravenous contact of some sort uh, but it was my first time out of the country I had no idea what I was going to going to encounter. So uh, I, w- I wanted to be prepared for the for the worst. And that's, shucks, we all trusted vaccines then. We didn't have the, the long list of, of vaccine failures that we know about today. But uh, uh, we, we trusted all of them. And, oh, if, if, if the CDC recommends it, it must be good. Well, yeah, that's changed over the years. Uh, well, I'm glad we both... <laughs> Dodged a bullet, and yeah, uh, you yep. can sit here and an entry. Uh, We don't
1: really know though, because stuff can lay there and wait for you later, right?
4: Well, in my case, ninety-five to twenty-fifteen, ninety-five to the, that's twenty years ago. The only health problem I've encountered is the thing. Everybody's listened to me. He shows his blood pressure. And yeah. Even my doctor doesn't know why my blood pressure is that high. He's giving me the flimsy excuse. Oh, it must be genetic because all your relatives are uh, have high blood pressure too. Well, that's true, but uh, some of them are married. Uh, some some of us are single, and a lot of different things in our lifestyles here as to what we're actually eating. Uh, I don't want to blame it all on genetics because. Some of my family does not have high blood pressure, uh, so I can't can't blame it on genetics. Yeah. It has to be something in the American diet, but uh, I don't know what it is.
1: Uh, I think we're being poisoned from every direction, so yeah. who knows. I mean, our, we are not the same. My doctor, the one that I liked, that had many different doctors because some of them died and stuff, so I had different ones. But the one I really liked the most, he said to me, he goes, people are not, they think they're the same, but we're not. People are not all the same. Their organs aren't even in the same places. And I said, really? And he says, no, they're not. And he he told me that because I was having a lot of trouble with, they thought it was gallbladder. It sounded like gallbladder at the time, and and um, they couldn't find it. And I said, how can you not find it? What do you mean you can't find it? He says, people don't always have their organs in the same place. They, You have these organs and they perform functions, but they're not always in the exact same place. Individuals are individuals. And that's why you use your best judgment. And, you know, it's the same as with, you know, how do you know that your background of your family, you know, didn't have certain, <laughs> certain traits or whatever? Well, maybe you got some from your mother's side more than your father's side or something like that. But you're not all the same, even in your own family. So we have, um, you know, we have DNA that that is the blueprint for who we are, and I think that the DNA is attacked constantly by all this stuff they do to us, uh-huh. and that is why we age. That's what I believe. We age because our DNA is being destroyed, not because we're time is passing. because our DNA is being destroyed. And if it wasn't, we probably would live forever. Because why would we break down?
4: Yeah, there's something grinding away on all of us here. I just glanced at the the chat board, and uh, Guest 15 said, check out N-U-C-C-A. Do you have a web link, Guest 15, for whoever N-U-C-C-A is? So I'll look at it after the show.
2: Yeah, but I put
1: a link up there to the court case that I was talking about earlier. It was Bragdon versus Abbott. Bragdon was the dentist. And Abbott was the patient. And uh, And, uh, like I said, I found out after everything came out that those people that lived downstairs worked for the dentist. And that's why they left, because they didn't want to live near Sydney Abbott. Because they, I guess, didn't want to see her or whatever. I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, about the fact that she was supposedly ill. She didn't show any signs of being ill. It wasn't. I think it was because they didn't want to have to look at her and stuff, knowing what was going on, and not be able to say anything. So they left and made up something about why they were unhappy.
4: I uh, guess 14. Is a comment. I don't understand. We're in Lithuania, Pete.
1: Oh, because you were talking about Lithuania, they wanted to know whereabouts in Lithuania.
4: Oh, where? Okay, typical chat board misspelling. Yeah. Um. I I did I had a whirlwind one week tour of the whole country, so I hit Vilnius and all the big things. I, the main town I was staying in was Majeke. uh, but I also visited the the port, uh, Kaipata and visited the, uh, the Naringa Spit. Uh, if you're familiar with Lithuania, you'll know what that is.
1: Uh, Maybe you then, should be writing your memoirs and selling them. Maybe you could get some money that way.
4: And the, uh, after Vilnius, uh, probably the most uh, beautiful thing in Lithuania is... Uh, the Grand Duke of Lithuania and I forget what era that was but he built this gorgeous brick red castle on an island on a lake in Trakai I think is the town T R A K E I and that's gotta be one of the most romantic locations in the world because you can rent a sailboat and sail around the castle on this very picturesque lake. And it's a huge huh. castle. I mean it puts the Disneyland stuff to shame. This is a real castle. Uh so I visited that. Um uh, uh, but no, as far as to, where did I was I specifically going, uh Majeke was the town, which is kind of in northern Lithuania. And it's, it's sort of an, an industrial town, but uh, very enlightening trip to, see, to visit a country that had been under communist Russian rule for 50 years, and just two or three years before I visited there, they had suddenly been granted independence, and they were their own standalone country now at last. Yeah. And they were so thrilled to be out from under the Russian thumb that that was, uh, that was quite an experience. Uh, write a, Pete, write a book. Well. Yeah, I <laughs> think it was well. So. Uh, <laughs> about all my failures in life, yeah. But, uh,
1: no, a book about your travel when you went over there.
4: My travel. Write
1: something about the area and stuff and things make people want to go. Yeah. Guess fifteen gave you a link to the what they were talking about.
4: Oh, there it is. All right, I will uh, click on it now, and we'll, uh, we'll take the time to read it after I'm, I'm done yakking nope. here on the on the show. Uh, thank you, fifteen. Um, well, life goes on.
1: Uh, <laughs> yep. Oh, to get back to my thing that I got interrupted in the middle of <laughs> with the. No forced uh, cut off that I get after three hours and I always forget because I'm always in the middle of something but um, so my my relative who's fairly young she's like distant relative she's like the daughter of a cousin of mine she had put on this, this um, news article that she saw about this um, lesbian couple that had a six day old baby that the doctor wouldn't treat and she was incensed by it and one of her friends was incensed it. and she just wanted to know how these people could live with themselves, and you know the doctor basically and I said, "Why would you want to go to a doctor that didn't have the best interests of your child at heart? I was looking at it from a different yeah. direction because oh, it boils
4: down to yeah.
1: well, there's people arguing right now about whether or not doctors ought to be forced to treat patients whoever it is and and you know, I could I could say probably that you could force somebody to do it, but I don't see how you could force them to do it because actually what they're doing is they're giving you a service. And how, how can you make them do it? And if you did make them do it because, you know, you make a law or something that says all doctors have to treat every patient, anybody that comes to their door, right, then you don't have somebody who wants to treat you, so they're not going to put in the effort, they should. So to me, there's like a relationship there with a the patient and um, all the other things that people like to bring in as far as their viewpoints of you know, whether or not there should be women living together, raising kids or whatever it is, is beside the point of the doctor and the patient, which is the doctor and the six-day-old child. And I was just saying, you know, why would you want to force somebody to take care of your child that doesn't have your child's best interest at heart I don't get that. And um, there were a few other people who said the same thing, but it didn't sit very well. It's the same kind of thing. You can't really talk about this stuff with people on Facebook. It's just they want to tell you what their viewpoint is, but they don't want you to say anything about what yours is. They don't want an argument about it. So that's okay. I'm just saying there's another way to look at it. And, Yeah. yeah, I've seen some of these situations, and... I believe that people, this is, this is how I feel about this. It's very difficult to say even, but I believe that adults can choose their own life. They don't need to have somebody else telling them. So therefore, butt out. It's not the government's business. The other thing, when you get into the fact of people adopting children when they're gay, I have trouble with it. And it isn't because the people are gay and can't make their own decisions. It's because I saw children at school who had parents that were gay, and I saw what those kids went through. And to me, it's not right because they didn't choose it. And I just it bothers me a lot because they didn't choose it, and yet they're put out there and ostracized in our society. I don't think that's fair to kids. So it isn't because I think that every gay couple or every person that has a different orientation in their life can't raise a kid because there's plenty of heterosexual parents that don't care about their kids and don't take care of them. So it isn't that. It's not that at all. It's the fact that these kids go through things that other kids don't have to go through. And I just don't think it's fair. You know, you're you're making that decision for them when you put them up for adoption into a, a situation like that, that they have to feel like they have to defend the whole time they're growing up. Oh, that's not right,
4: I have to agree growing up is difficult enough without parents inflicting other problems on the kid
1: and I, and the parents that I knew that had these kids that I knew at school they were good parents they were nice to their kids, and they took care of them and everything. but their kids went through stuff with other kids that they shouldn't have had to they shouldn't have had to go through It's like constant defending of their parents and their particular situation wasn't exactly the same because they weren't actually adopted you know by a couple they weren't adopted that way what it was was that these women had both been married before and had divorced and married each other or they weren't married then because it wasn't legal to do it yet but I'm sure they probably are now and they had these kids that they were raising together and it was hard on them because everybody was always talking about it to them. It's like, you know, just because we have gay parents doesn't mean we're gay. It doesn't mean that we, you know, want to deal with this every day of our life.
3: Yeah.
1: And some of them, they're too young to even understand the issues or anything. It's just not right to me. Um, and I don't see that it's anybody else's business, honestly. I really don't. So when I, when I say that, doesn't mean I would do it. It means I think it's not the government's business. That's
4: yeah. where I'm coming from. Yeah, well, again, as, as, as I just said, growing up is difficult enough without someone else adding problems to the poor kid. Uh, yeah, and especially going through puberty, and uh, you, you have to establish your identity as a person, and you quite often get judged by your parents and whether your parents were righteous or not righteous doesn't matter. You get judged by who your parents are and what they did. And in well, my I mean, case... We don't,
1: I, we don't take kids away from people who are atheists. We don't take kids away from people who drink to excess. We don't take kids away from parents that smoke in the car. I mean, they're not supposed to do it, but you know that people do it. We don't take them away for anything when it's their own children, right? They steal them from people if they want to have a kid to, you know, put in the foster care system and get money out of them. But other than that, they don't really care. And I just, to me, it's just wrong to enter into all this stuff unless we want to just give our kids away to the state and say, fine, they're going to raise them. Maybe we get to visit them on the weekends or whatever, which is kind of like what it seems to be, you know, the direction things seem to be going in right now is the state wants control of that kid from the moment it's born. That's how I see the vaccine thing and all the other stuff that's going on. They want control of everything. And I don't think it is their business. It's a family situation. It's a family decision. And um, I think the government should butt out of those things. They, you know, they're, they yeah. try to tell you that they care about the welfare of the children, but they're not showing that in what they do. Yeah. The state, I'm saying.
4: That Journalist I often refer to Jim Stone had a. Uh,
3: yeah.
4: He shared a personal experience about uh, a neighbor that was uh, first off a single parent, but managed to land multiple foster children contracts. He said yeah. he was living in a in a an upper middle class neighborhood. So I, from that, I I get the impression it was kind of a, a McMansion kind of a neighborhood, where if, you, if I don't know if that's a California term or not, but a McMansion means that they are track built mansions. They're large. They're well over three thousand square feet, but they have essentially no yard. Uh It might have a three or a four car garage, but the yard is barely enough to call it a yard uh and they're just built right next to each other, but they're very built, very big homes that really look kind of nice from the curb so anyway, he said that he was living in that kind of a neighborhood, and this lady that lives ne- next door had no husband no recognizable boyfriend. But she had four or five kids and kept getting more. And he told of a story of, uh, I forget how old the youngster was, but he said when whenever that kid came out in the, the little bit of a front yard to play, he really did some strange things. Uh, like one day he came out just bashing this pillowcase on the cement. And he went over and talked to the kid and uh, asked him what he was doing. And he said, yeah, uh, mom told me to get rid of these kittens.
3: Oh, God. He put
4: some newborn kittens into a pillowcase and mom told him to go out and kill (sighs) them. Well, then he said, that was weird enough. But then a few months later, police show up. One of the infants that she was caring for on a foster basis wasn't even hers. Uh, The the same kid that was out killing kittens that one day was told to go prepare some bath water. And he just turns on the hot faucet and lets it run. And then threw the kid in. It killed the baby. So here she has an obvious... Well... Hard to say murder, but a wrongful death on her record. And she wasn't taken out of business.
1: Yeah, we've had weird stuff like that in Maine, too.
4: Uh, She kept getting more kids it, and bigger pretty, contracts. and
1: it, I think it's related to the pedophile stuff, honestly. I think they, they take kids into custody and then they use them in various ways.
4: Yeah, but the, so, so that just shows the the whole the foster system is just really screwed up.
1: Well, we you know we had a lot of stuff in Maine where the kids were taken away from their families, and it was um, I believe it was back in Angus King's administration when they were doing it the most. They were just like making up stuff almost. You know, somebody would make an accusation about someone's family, and next thing you know, they're showing up at the door taking the kids away. And um, I can remember hearing about, you know, these types of cases and thinking, well, the state has a right to make sure of the welfare of these kids. Well, we had at our school, we had some kids show up at at school one day. They were, um, one of the teachers had had stopped at the post office, which was in a store, because it was a small town. And the post office in the, outskirts of town was in a store. So they'd gone in to check their mail and and it was also a bus stop for the school. So they'd seen some of the kids there waiting for the bus. And one of them said something like, you know, you should have you seen what happened last night. They were full of the whole story of it. And they told this staff member about how their father had threatened their pregnant mother with a big knife and that the state police tactical team had come. They called them SWAT teams back then. And um had taken their father into custody and everything and there he had climbed up a tree it was like this whole huge scenario was a great big deal right and so the the staff member comes to school before the bus gets to school before the bus and they notify the whole staff of this incident that took place the night before and so what are we going to do to help support these kids right because they've been through this traumatic experience and <laughs> some of us are going and you're telling me that the They didn't take those kids into custody. It was like, you've got to be kidding me. Wouldn't you think that would have been the first thing they would have done is taken those children out of that situation? But they didn't. They left them there and um, with the mother. But still, the fact that she was allowing this person to be that out of control in the household was like she wasn't taking care of her children. This guy had threatened the whole family, and they didn't even put the kids into a safe environment. They just left them to deal with it, I guess. And they were they were talking about it like it was a normal occurrence. This is what happens, you know, when, you know, daddy gets out of hand. You know, he threatens to stab mom in her pregnant belly. I just couldn't believe it. I thought, well, you know, this it's one thing to have somebody make a report about a family, but if the state police were there because there was an incident going on, then there shouldn't have needed to be a report because they were observing it firsthand, what was going on there. I don't know. I think they have something else running behind the scenes that we don't know about, just from
4: the stories
1: that have gone on here for years.
4: It is in, in all levels of government. As Abel Danger keeps talking about this new term, black hand, which I guess is just another term for the same... Shenanigans uh-huh. in the background that they've been talking about for years, uh, and yeah, it's busy on local level. And masons yeah. are part of it; they're not all of it. The uh, the secret society mentality has so many different special handshakes and splinter groups. You can't really hang it on one group. Uh, but it's uh, it's oh we're different. We talk different. We uh, yeah. We have our we have our meetings and uh, and uh, and it's back to the just us uh, pun there. But well, we go on, uh, continue to practice the golden rule as best we can, and uh, that's what anybody? I do. And I
1: have nothing to do with these people. That if I know what they're up to, I just walk away. I don't want anything to do with them, and I'll tell them right to their face too. I'm sorry, I don't like what you're doing, and not gonna participate in that, and they're like, "What?" Well, you know, you get an inkling of what's going on in the background. You start figuring out that there's some other stuff going on because of whatever they say, or how they act in public, or whatever. And um the Facebook thing is really, you know, that's one of the reasons why I look at them every so often because I want to know what they're up to and who's their friends and what they're talking about because they're open about it. They don't see that that there's any threat from anyone. They feel like they're entitled to their elite position. So they're like untouchable. Yeah. And um so they just they expose them themselves by doing that. So
4: Yeah. Uh so you hear I, I just said that Masons are not the whole problem but they're sure a lot of the problems because something I just learned recently in a passing comment where Things suddenly pop up in conversations at times that the person knew for years and never had the reason had a, had a reason to tell you. Uh, yeah. I just learned recently uh, where somebody was uh, oh, visiting the the cemetery at my old hometown, that I town where I grew up in, and the, the, the town cemetery just outside of the edge of town. He was wandering through and looking at uh, at gravestones and found the gravestone of the banker that stole my grandfather's farm. Hmm. And it had a huge mason's uh, obelisk on it.
1: I'm um, sure.
4: Uh, yeah, what does that tell you? You so, uh, see them
1: all over the place in the cemeteries. It's the... Basically, the uh, people that ran the town. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have some of those in my family too, in the background. hmm Go and visit the old cemeteries, and you see them. Yeah.
4: Yeah, but Masons kind of some of them, at least, they not very public, and do their dirty work in the background. You don't know what they were ever involved in, whether it was pedophilia or yeah. nothing, it would, maybe you just did it for for ordinary business. I don't know. I sure can't judge judge all of them, but uh, but when you see somebody that you know was evil evil enough, and what my grandfather's farm was stolen back in what the 30s, so we're talking 80, 90 years ago, uh, and some of the details on the confiscation are only showing up 70 or 80 years later. And as I'm learning little bits and pieces, and this is the 30s, the Depression era, and lots of farmers lost their farms, but not all of the farmers. Some of the farmers made it through. Now, we can hear a lot of old war stories of, oh, well, I planted wise crops, or I knew how to irrigate or something. They all want to take credit for making it through the Depression and saving their farm. I can't believe it was always that the case. Knowing what principles in life my mother taught me, I can't imagine her dad was an idiot. He was not. I never had a chance to meet him. He, he passed away when I was only 4 years old, so I never never really had a conversation with the gentleman.
1: Oh, they like to they like to tell you that the only reason you weren't as successful as them is because they're smarter than you. When they knew they were actually undermining you, behind the scenes.
4: Yeah.
1: Oh, it it's, it's but, really sickening when you get into that.
4: But but knowing what we know about banking now, the fact that, it's all printed, they haven't access. They have access to an infinite supply of cash, an infinite supply. Yeah. And again, my grandfather lost his farm in the thirties. Well, when did the Federal Reserve Act kick in? 1913. Okay, the Federal Reserve policy was in progress when my father's farm was taken. The banker refused to refinance him. Whose fault is that? The year that happened to be a drought and his crops failed so he, he couldn't make his annual payment? Or was it the banker's fault for not refinancing him? My case is it was totally the banker's fault. That moron could have gotten an infinite amount of money to refinance my grandfather and leave him with the farm. No, he took the farm.
1: Yeah, well, that's the collusion they do behind the scenes.
4: Yeah. And how many other farmers got hit with the same problem? Well, we know from G. Ed Griffin's book, the whole depression was caused by bankers pulling cash out of circulation pretending that, oh, there's no money to loan you because we don't have enough depositors. And, oh, the money just miraculously has disappeared out of out of our economy. Baloney! You thieving bankers took it out of the economy is what caused it because you wanted to go stealing every farm in the country yeah. and eventually set up your own corporate uh, mega-farming uh, systems or or whatever they did with the land that they took. So uh, no uh, secret stuff behind your back, and you don't even know what hits you. That's the yeah. trouble with sucker punches—you don't know what hits you until years later. It finally Well, you're comes going by your the
1: punch. rules. You're going by the rules they're telling you, but they have a different set in the background. Yeah. So you you think you're operating under the same system, and you're not.
3: Right, And that,
1: you know, this is one of the things why I work so hard on exposing it is because it's really not right. And um, people, you know, there's still people walking into that trap today. The same one. Because they think they're playing by the rules and they're doing it the right way. They think they go to the bank and they actually borrow money from the bank and they pay the bank back like you would to your uncle or something. And it's not like that. We know that but that's what the bank wants you to believe.
4: Yeah. Well, I'm still living on the, the naive assumption that America does have a premise of a, of a good economy that people should be able to buy stock in their friends and buy stock in a in a business venture and and help it grow with a concerted effort. Uh I keep looking but the only, be, only people confronting my business thus far have the banker mentality, oh, well, yeah, we'll gladly loan you a certain amount of money, but starting next month, you better be, meet our payment schedule or we'll take your whole stinking business. And that's not good either. So. Yeah. Uh, But there are businesses that uh, luck out, and they do manage to get their cash flow going fast enough, and they manage to meet the banker's demand, and then they die of old age, high stress, high blood pressure, high everything. And yes, some blood pressure is caused by stress, and I sometimes wonder if that might be the sole reason for mine, but I don't know. Uh, Well, anyway, here we go, trying to solve the world's problems again. Uh, anyway, I think I'm talked out, and, uh, uh as, as far as writing a book and memoirs, I've only been out of the country on one trip. I don't think that would make a book.
1: Ah, oh, you could just tell about that. My, my,
4: my, my other activities in life might, might fill a book, but, uh, oh, yeah, Paparazzi Story of the Evening, uh, jazz station I listen to on, uh, on the internet. A new tune popped up I had never heard before. It had a, a beautiful harmony to it and some unique lyrics. And so I uh, had to go. I never did catch the the introduction of the the artist. So I was curious who it was. And I went to Google and typed in the what few lyrics I could remember. And I come to find out the tune was written by Johnny Mitchell. Really? <laughs> way huh. back. Way back when. Uh. I guess it it got airplay back when she wrote it. It's called uh, "Come In From the Cold" is the title of oh. the tune. Oh, uh, and it's got some some nice lyrics and some amazing melodies in in it uh, harmonies. And I think when when Joni Mitchell released it herself, I think she used her own voice for backup on, on it. I'm not positive on that. Uh, I know Karen Carpenter was the master of uh, of using her own voice for backup, but I think Joni Mitchell occasionally did it also. Yeah. Um. But uh, no, come in from the cold. If, if any, if there's any of the jazz fans out there look that tune up? And uh, there is a YouTube of uh, Joni Mitchell doing it. And I guess the the new artist, uh, check a little further. is named Cheryl Barnes. As a, uh, a re-release of that tune, and Cheryl Barnes—I'm uh, not going to put Jenny Mitchell's performance down because I mean she wrote the tune—but uh, Cheryl Barnes added a, a kind of a slightly different twist to the harmony in, in one of the lines there. That's uh, just beautiful to listen to. So, uh, come in from the cold, my uh, my pop tune, jazz recommendation of the week. <laughs> All right, I'll have to look it up. Yeah.
3: Yep.
4: But uh again, story of my life. People I meet, I really don't know who they are when I get a chance to run into these people that I learn later were really powerful historical figures. So, uh, So everybody in the chat board, if you're <laughs> if you're a famous person, let me know. <laughs> I've got the op- really? opportunity yeah. to chat with you and uh and right now, I don't know what to ask. So. All right. I think I've rambled on for enough for tonight. So, but, uh,
1: Well, we're our your East Coast friends here are starting to fall asleep because it's going on 1130, so it's pretty late for oh us, boy. so we're, yeah. we're losing it now.
4: Well, I so, can't think <laughs> yet for midnight.
1: Yeah. yeah. But um, anyway, no, I'm glad you came in. I know that some of the people actually probably like listening to us just talk on the phone like we're old buds because... You know, sometimes it's just to get a different viewpoint of how other people are seeing life. And, you know, mm-hmm. it helps keep some sanity. It can't always be goal-driven against the system, like, because it's just too much at once. Now, James Jameson is saying that you need to just take care of whatever it is and your, your uh, blood pressure will go down. He wants you to just take care of whatever it is. So. Well. Um. And as far as Facebook goes, we um, the Facebook thing, I know it's something that I fought for a long time, and I can't Facebook all my friends on here because it would give away my anonymity, as I say. So I'd have to make up some oddball profile name. But um, as far as using it within your own areas with the people that you know or your family and friends, I think it's got some um, potential for helping and yes, I know that they watch everything, and they know everything you do and say and think, and all your information. And it's all out there. We have no privacy anymore. But yeah,
4: um, Facebook gets a little awkward at times when because we can all go have in both
1: directions. Di- yeah, know? we
4: all have different friends and with different topics. And to simplify it, some of our friends can be quite conservative, and some can be quite liberal. Oh, uh, and when you're talking to a face-to-face, you know how to talk to him intelligently and you never really have a fight face-to-face. But if you're in a if you're always in that mixed environment, well now you got to temper what you say in each direction. Uh, and it can come off wrong. I mean, the, this one person I had the argument with, well, it was her husband is one of my conservative professional associates. And Strange situation. He really married this hyper liberal woman, who somehow or another ended up on my Facebook page, and now she's pointing out this liberal extremist stuff. Some of it just angers the daylights out of me, but I try to temper my comments. But uh, but yeah, thanks. I
1: don't talk about politics online very seldom. I will put like information out but I don't want to have arguments about politics because it's just not worth it to me.
4: Yeah. I'll talk
1: about it in real life, but I don't want to be talking about it on Facebook.
4: We're intelligent enough to know that there's criminals on both sides of the spectrum, so it's not a liberal versus conservative argument. It's a responsibility issue. And uh, each side needs to show responsibility. I mean, liberals are welcome to support poor people. I'm all for that uh conservatives i'm I'm all for responsibility and accountability too uh, you, you just get extremists in in both realms that want to rip everything apart or or turn us into a Nazi government then who wants to go either either of those directions yeah. uh, well anyway, nice to be among friends here. Uh, each week.
1: Yeah, that's how I feel, too. Definitely.
4: Thanks for everybody's comments, and I'll have to speed read them after we shut off here. But uh, that's it from the West Coast for me. We'll sign off and let let you close off then.
1: Okie dokie. See you next time.
4: Okay. Bye for now.
1: Okay, bye for now. Okay, chickadees, you know what that means. Time to get off the computers and for us East Coasters, probably go to bed. All right? Um, yeah, individuals are doing things, name them. That's what I said in the chat. We need to name the people and we need to hold them accountable for what they're doing. If you see it, say something right then. And I don't mean calling up somebody. I mean tell them right to their face. Okay. Anyway, thanks for coming tonight. Thanks for hanging in there so long. Thanks for calling in, Desert Pete. Thank you for all the advice from everybody, health and everything else. And um, tomorrow morning, Aroostook Watchman, 8 o'clock, if he's on. And 9 o'clock is Roger Eck, the Northern Maine Landman. And Wednesday night at 9 o'clock is um, Dottie's talk Shoe, Maine Exposed, with Lee DuPont and um, a lot of times other people, Phil Merletti there and Leon, and um, we'll just keep sharing what we know, and hopefully if we have anything we can add to it, that just makes it stronger. So hang in there, and uh, good night.
2: plus.